This show is brought to you by DF Studios Limited. Whether you're a business owner or entrepreneur, DF Studios will guide and assist you on the best ways to promote your brand digitally, in addition to creating visitor and customer generating content like blogs, social media posts, videos, and even podcasts like this one you're listening to right now. Visit dfstudiosltd.com or hit up info at dfstudiosltd.com for more info. Let us talk about Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which is easily one of the most highly anticipated films of 2022, right? Uh, you know, we, we've, well, I should say myself, Summer and Ricardo, we talked about the first film when it came out in 2018, yes. um, absolutely enjoyed it back then. And of course, oh, yeah. well, I don't know about you guys, but I did a, a recap of it, you know, just in preparation for this, um, movie here. Same, and yeah, same. I, I think that it still holds up for, for the most part though. Um, absolutely oh, yeah. enjoyable, right? So of course, going in into what kind of forever you have to take into consideration the fact that yes, you know, Chadwick Boseman is no longer with us, right? And you can imagine how hard it was for everybody on set, um, even behind the scenes, to to even put this out, right? Um, I, yeah, I I I can't even begin to imagine how how Ryan Coogler felt, right? You know, um, doing this. Oh, I mean, this yeah. is his first sequel, right? And he, fun <laughs> fact, actually, actually know about that. He opened up in a recent interview that he almost left the project. Like he, because he had been co-developing it with Chadwick, and they'd been bouncing ideas off each other and writing it right up into his death. When he got the news that Bozeman had passed away, and he learned with the rest of us, fun fact, um, he almost left the project. Like he was seriously considering turning it over and walking away, but he only stuck with it because he wanted to do it as a tribute to Bozeman. Right. That was why he stuck right. around. But but yeah, he was devastated. He almost left. Right, right. Is that the Tanashi Quotes um, podcast or, the, or, or was it a different interview? I think it, that might be the one. I'm not sure which one. I know that it was circulating. Um, I mean, he's he's made no secret about how, even from the first trailers, like how this is a tribute to Chadwick Boseman it, as, as well as being a sequel to the original film. But um, I think he that was maybe in the interview we opened up and said, yeah, I almost left. I, I seriously considered leaving the project. And, like, I don't know if he implied filmmaking altogether or just this franchise, but I wasn't sure. Right. So when it came to this movie here, right, and we have to take into consideration that this is the, the, the final film or chapter, if you will, of the Phase 4 era of, you know, Marvel Studios, right? Of, of, oh their, of their outfit, right? <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean, we have to bring up that fact that, yeah, this yeah. is the end of the I, I have right? some stuff to say about Phase 4 in general, but we'll talk yes. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Same. I feel reasons and things, but later. Yes. Yeah, 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 right? So, you know, we were, we were getting the, the, the output, you know, the Moon Knights and the, the Miss Marvel, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we will hear through the grapevine that we will get our kind of forever tra- um, trailer. Um, and you know, it, it, it dropped the first one, dropped and blew everyone's minds, myself included. Boy, yes, the music was what really gripped me. Just just hearing um, Ludwig Goransson's music, um, just so operatic and just so emotional. Boy, and how it reworked Kendrick Lamar's All Right, um, mm-hmm. and Thames' version of you know, No Woman No Cry, how it just merged those two together. I'll talk about music in my review, right? Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, um, it, it just blew everyone's mind. We were all excited for this, right? And you know, the second trailer dropped. And, and gave us more stuff and pretty much spoil who 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 the new Black Panther would be. But it's like, all right, well, some of us kind of like in my case, I want to be surprised. I wanted to see for myself. I thought the film itself with a Schumer, what the trailer kind of spoiled. I was like, all right, well, okay, you know. Most comic so, but, free, guys. 
most comic book readers would have already yeah. known who it was going to be because yes. logic it also it was also the logical step from a cinematic um level but if you read the comics you knew you didn't even need them to tell you you knew who it yeah. was going to be exactly so um, what we'll do here, right? We'll do a spoiler-free section, right? So we'll share spoiler-free thoughts, and then we'll jump into the spoilers so we can expound on the on the, the facts or the issues that we bring up in our spoiler-free section, right? So uh, Tracy, if you don't mind, could just do a, sort of a quickish um, run-through of what Wakanda Forever is about? Right. So Wakanda Forever. Wakanda Forever, uh, in the film, we see a new world power rises we deal with the aftermath of the king king t'challa is gone and how that affects the people around him namely his sister princess shuri and we also have to deal with the outside forces so we have a new world power rising from the ocean but we also have the fact that because uh king t'challa the black panther is gone we have what we would normally see in our world. Every colonizer on the planet is excited that let's. this is a time to actually go out there and do stuff. And so now we have to deal with the repercussions of that. How do you deal with pain and grief at the same point in time? And also, how do you keep the legacy of someone you love going even after they're gone? And that was the two-hour and 41-minute film in our Epic. synopsis. That, that, is, that is what kind oh, of... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, so um, I, I will kick things off, right? Um, so just to keep in mind, right? Um, so that's just to get the obvious of the way, yes, this this would have been a tough project for Ryan and his team to pull off, right? And I would say for the most part, they did the thing, they came true. Um, I mean, everybody just showed up to work, but everybody came, did their damn thing though, whether it's Letitia Wright, who I was just surprised at how much um, um, screen time that she got, right? I mean, of course, compared to the first film, right? But yeah, she just has so much e emotional um, lifting to do, man. And I thought that she she killed it, man. Um, same thing with, uh, with, with you know, um, Angela Bassett, man. I mean, the moments with her when she's on screen, though, wow, powerful, right? Um, this one meltdown scene involving her and um, Okoye playing Mama Gil, mm -hmm. Night Real Boy, that one was mm -hmm. like... Yeah. Um also like the the the, the will building in this, right? Um whether it's you know um exploring um Nemo, right? And you know, his his group, right? Um um exploring um Talokan, right? You know, his his um his kingdom and right uh, kingdom and whatnot, right? Um and introducing uh Riri Williams, aka Iron Heart, right, into the story. And it kind of it, it fits like you know her inclusion, it does. right? It, it, yeah. it, Surprisingly, does right. So, what 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 was surprising? I didn't think she would have been that central to the story. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I what yeah. I thought was I thought I thought uh, Michaela Cole's character Aneka was going to be the central, more central figure. Now, no, she was the side mm -hmm. character. I was like, oh, because yeah. you know Michaela Cole's already a reasonably well established star. Yeah. Uh, yes. 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 Uh, comp at least compared to, to Riri Williams, who's a newcomer. Uh. So I was yeah. like, oh, they okay, say, there, there's a there's they're saying that um, her series is actually filming right now is a literal right. direct kind of sequel or direct from so after her adventures in wakanda and the events surrounding wakanda forever we meet up with iron heart and riri williams and her series and right. stuff unfolds there so it's it it kind of really does set up mm -hmm. like a bigger for her oh and which okay and which tie that and like those two points tie into like one of the things i i quite appreciated which i mean relevant is um 
when the first when when the first of Taika Waititi's Thor films came out, and they just kept announcing so and so has been cast as this, and so much has been cast as this, and I kept yeah. finding myself going, "Oh wow, that's a they're putting a lot into this movie. Is it all going to fit?" And then it somehow fit. And then when they did the same thing with Love and Thunder, and I was like, "Oh, they're definitely going to fit it this time." And then they didn't. Like that film felt clunky and overstuffed. Yeah. And then with this film, right? Like you know, we're we're getting up to the movie. We hear that you know. Um, Talalakan's gonna. We hear that the the Talakan stuff's gonna be in it. We hear we know there's gonna be setups for other MCU projects. We hear that Reeve Williams as Ironheart's gonna be in it. And I found my like literally up until I sat down to watch it, I was like, how are they going to put all this in and actually make it flow right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was genuinely surprised how well they did that, especially given yeah. the circumstances of the rewrites. Like oh, like especially her inclusion. Like she was one of my favorite characters. I wasn't mm. expecting that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It's it's a movie that feels like it actually uses its runtime in that regard, because it actually, like, it it gives all of the different elements it's bringing in space to breathe. Yeah, I'm going to talk about, you know, um, time in a bit, right? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, um, acting is is strong throughout, though. I was surprised Mm -hmm. to see uh, Michaela Cole in this as well. I was like, hey, all right, I I reviewed, you know, I May Destroy You. I I really, really love that show, right? I was Mm -hmm. glad to see her there, right? Um, Everybody had their time to shine, right? Um... Right. Kugler once again shows why he is is one of the well, I should say um, should be like one of the most talked about um, directors um, right now. But because yeah, he he stepped up to the plate, he did his damn thing. But he he came through with a really impressive sequel here, um, from action sequences to 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 the, mm-hmm. to the visuals and whatnot. Yeah, it it's it's great, right? Music. Mm-hmm. I'll just close up with music, right? Um, the music. Uh, for this too, I mean, my boy Ludwig Göransson came, did it. Um, it's different compared to what we saw, what we heard, sorry, from from the last film, right? Um, it's a lot darker, a lot more intense and whatnot. Um, and you know, t- thanks to to, to Tracy for for putting me onto the soundtrack, right? Because mm-hmm. I was really impressed in how they actually incorporated some of the songs from the soundtrack. I, I, I talk about the various Ooh. artists, one, right? Into this, right? Case in point, um, the Abolis Bajo El Mar, right? That song, right? When I first about heard it, I was like, this sounds like something out of some 70s like Spanish horror film, though. It sounds so haunting, though, right? And they use it in the moment, slight spoiler, involving um, Nemo's backstory, man. And it's the moment oh. the end. Uh, Tracy, you know what I talk about, right? Yes, very much the, yes. Where you yes. sing a sing, when, when um, you whispering, and then you do the... When that because moment happened, I was like, all right, yes, I like that, I like that. that it's kind of like, you know, when you, when you have a, a ritual or something and you, somebody is, is is doing a prayer or whatever it is like that and they yeah, blow. And, and they just keep blowing candles, like, and they just whisper something. And then, yes. when that came in, but I was like, I, I get chills, I get chills. It is easily one of the best songs in this in this um, album, Bar None, right? I even like how um, they use this song, Con La Brisa, right? I, I know that, that is that is that is seared in my brain. That is yeah, seared in my brain. During the the reveal of uh, of the underwater <laughs> kingdom, oh, that, that really um, how to say this this really heavenly music that you hear. And my God, um, the vocals for this way, my God, um, who it is way? For the Quish, I think yeah, I, I know. That's why I pronounce the name. But for the Quish and Ludwig collaborated on that. Yeah, it, it just sounds so gorgeous, boy. Um, and even like the the Afrobeats cuts and whatnot, right? How they were worked into it. Also, there's there's a kind of a blink and miss moment now where they had um interlude, right, which is performed by um Stormzy, right? Shout out to Stormzy, right? And somehow they 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 they, they um they transitioned that into a loan from Boona Boy. 
I, right. I actually like tapped my friend next to me. I was like, you see how they do that? Like they actually like <laughs> real smooth, but like way okay. It was real good. It was real good. I won't like just the use of music here was great. It, it really stuck out more than the first film, right? Even though you had Kendrick Lamar and TDE, you know, on board, right? Although to be fair, I still prefer that album because that was more hip hop and R&B oriented, right? But this one was different because it incorporated more Afrobeat and more um uh I don't want to say Spanish. Well, yeah, Spanish language um music into it. That was really smart, right? That being said, though, I'm going to say something really controversial here, but I wanted to just, just listen to me for a bit, and then I'll wrap up the work. While I was watching this, right, while I was appreciating everything that I was seeing, right, and I understood, you know, how difficult it would have been to put all this together, there's a part of me that still feels like this should have been a series. I'll explain. Mm. I'll explain. What this show really reminds me of, oddly enough, is Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Where you have a main character, right? A, a character that that's much we love and had had a big impact on the MC, right? Who is gone now, and now you have somebody. Somebody has to come in and fill those shoes, right? We know who the character is going to be. We'll get to that in the spoiler section, right? But we have to wait a while for the build-up and all these. Basically, we're trying to say you're taking these cent, um, these side characters, right? We're introducing new characters into the fold. I just seen how they're dealing with this person's law, um, with the loss of this person, basically, right? And who's right. going to come in to fill those shoes? Reminds me a lot of well, what was going on with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, right? Well, who's going to fill? Who's going to take the mantle of uh, of Captain America, right? And eventually, at the end, we see who it is, right? It's Falcon, the right? But at the same time, they incorporate different. They, they incorporate other subplots. You had Baron Zemo. You had the um, Dora Milaje for a bit. Um, you had other players and other things that was going on, right? So if I, if I have one gripe, the one major gripe with this show, though, there's a few others I'll get to with the with the spoiler review, right? Is it it feels kind of cluttered, man? It feels like there's a lot of spinning places, a lot of things going on, and not all the time does it feel um, that that it it, it doesn't always flow as freely as it should man sometimes it, it could feel a little um clunky at times man um right and it's even worse now because of the runtime as well too like, like i mean yeah i sure like this needs to be long right but there's so much moving parts in it though where yeah you will you will feel you know um uh yeah it's use of pacing right and i think this is where the show kind of stumbles man unfortunately right Again, I understand why, because you're bringing in all these new characters and you're reintroducing old characters, and you want to give everybody a moment to shine, right? And I appreciate that, right? But it could, it does unfortunately kind of take away from what I felt the point was, whereas, okay, who is going to fill those shoes of, of um, or boots, whatever, of, of Black Panther, right? Now, if it was a series now, if it was a series now, you, you would have more enough time to explore Okoye and Shuri and, you know, Ramonda and everyone else, right? And, um, well, I would say the one character that, honestly, I felt should have been, didn't need to be in it, unfortunately, was Everett Ross, who is played by, by Martin Freeman. I, I felt like his moments, while I understand why they're there, it's just like, well, all right, we have them there because we made fun of him because he's the white colonizer, blah, blah, blah. But I just felt like his moments kind of took away from what the point of the movie was, right? And even, like, near the end, like, his last moments, it didn't really, like, tie back to what the main theme of the show was about. He was just there for the sake of being there and fortune, right? Right. But I understand why he's there because he's a fan figure, right? But if it was a series format now, then yeah, you know, you, you could explore these characters well and you could have a much cleaner resolution, right? I'll talk about the, the, the conclusion in my, in my spoiler section, right? 
Um, but it's so funny that me talking about it being a series, right? Because, uh, you know, because of the amount of, you know, TV shows that we've gotten from the MCU for the past couple of years, right? You would think that something like this could have just been, you know, Wakanda Forever, the series, like the mini series or whatever it is, right? But because of, unfortunately, of what happened with, um, with, with, uh, with Chadwick Boseman, it kind of makes sense that something like this should be a film, and because of how right. widely loved that that first film was, and I guess it's because you know it didn't have a proper sequel with with Chadwick, you know, that's why we had to go the theatrical route. But I feel like if you know, in in hindsight, if if we did have that sequel, if we had that film that you know both um, Ryan and Chadwick wanted to make. Yeah, then we would have a TV series that would have been called, um, you know, uh, Wakanda Forever. We could have explored the, the 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 other side characters, but for because the situation is like, well, yeah, we kind of had to do this. So, long story short, it really does feel like you know its ideas for um, for upcoming films and whatnot in this Black Panther series kind of put together into this one film, and at times it does feel like it's all over the place. Uh, but I do understand the situation behind it, though. Where it's like, yeah, we want to do we want to do this this send off. We want to do this proper tribute to him, right? So mm-hmm. in the end, not not all of it works. The, the narrative is is kind of hit or miss for me though. Um, but you know, there's a lot to take away from it though, and and the heart and emotion of the film is still there. Um, from a visual and you know, um, um, sonic perspective, I mean, the show still works though. But I just felt like you know, honestly, that you know, just narrative wise, the you know, mm-hmm. it, what would have helped if is, is if it had like a couple more rewrites and maybe just kind of structured things a little bit more cohesive. So instead of things kind of feeling all over the place but that's just my thoughts on it right, right. but um so yeah that that's my that's my kind of long ramble on it though but well, um just, just counterpoint go on go on take, yeah well, well well counterpoint because i do disagree with you and i feel like i should articulate why um i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> no you're you're fine you're fine no i definitely no, i get it no it's me here's the thing right while I enjoyed both WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I think they're the only... I don't remember what other DC series I even watched, because I kind of stopped... Oh, you didn't watch Loki? Yeah, I did watch Loki, uh, okay. At least Loki, like... I mean, yeah, was, definitely, I, I, yeah, I would what, say those are the three. Those are the top three. Yeah, I watch, stopped you know? watching the MCU series after a bit, because with the exception of Loki and WandaVision, because there's, like, a meta reason it's the way it is... I kept watching the shows going, my God, these could have been tightened up into movies. Like, yeah. why? Right, right. Every, yeah. like, like especially Falcon and the Winter Soldier. For me, like, there is a lot about Falcon and the Winter Soldier that is fun to watch in the moment. But then afterwards, rethinking it, revisiting it, I was like, man, clean this up, cut this subplot there, tighten this up. Mm. And this would have been, like, a fine, like, this would have been fine as a movie. But... On top of that, I think part of the reason that, like, I definitely come to the defense of Black Panther having so much and, like, being a movie as opposed to a series is, again, coming off the brutal disappointment of Thor, Love, and Thunder and seeing what happens when you have a movie that is so stuffed and is so busy, right? Every Like, every scene in Thor, Love, and Thunder, stuff is happening. New stuff is being introduced. New stuff is being explained. I don't know if the rumors that Marvel mandated that the movie be under two hours are true. If it is, that is probably where this, like those, that film's big weaknesses come from. Like, and, and like in my mind, and I'm directly comparing Wakanda forever to Thor love and thunder. There are a lot of messy things. Um, I blame all of those on the rewrite because again, this was originally supposed to be for Chadwick Boseman as black Panther. And there's a lot of that I can see, especially as a screenwriter and someone with screenwriting experience, Um, there's a lot of times I'm like, yep, this, this was originally meant to be 
a T'Challa scene that has been reworked and like right. redone so to fit a new context. And like, there's plenty of, and it kind of goes back to my feelings about Shuri as our new protagonist, but that's a separate issue. Um, but as far as like balancing so many characters and subplots, yes, you get Everett Ross who doesn't need to be there and could have been, aside from providing a little exposition could have been cut. But for the most part, for the most part, especially compared directly to Thor Love and Thunder, I feel like it, 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 it's better paced and it does a better job of balancing all the stuff going on because unlike Thor Love and Thunder, where every new scene is introducing new stuff and there's big, or there's big set pieces happening. Wakanda forever has a lot more breathing scenes like a lot more quieter moments and a lot more moments where characters are just interacting or breathing or processing the stuff that has happened. Unlike Love and Thunder, which is just boom, 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 stuff happens, stuff happens, stuff happens with no processing, no breathing, except for like the one scene on the ship, I guess. But even then, like that scene is so, it's so rushed in there. It's difficult to feel like any breathing is actually going on in that scene. Wakanda Forever has a lot, has almost like, if you were to break the film up, I feel like, into how much of it is set piece and how much of it is breathing, there are a lot more quiet sequences and a lot more breathing scenes and a lot more moments where it genuinely feels like that the, the film is taking its time to process all of the stuff happening. Like, look at the amount of time between when we first see Namor and the second time we see Namor, because the, mm, like, the film right. is genuinely breathing in between those moments in that particular way is just kind of my point. I, I've got, I mean, I, obviously when we get to more individual thoughts, I have my own critiques of the film, but yeah, I, yeah. pacing for me is not one of them. Right, okay, I, I totally understand. And and folks, yeah. before you, you um you 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 unsubscribe to, you know, from, from a YouTube <laughs> channel and stop listening to me, um, this is just a first viewing. I really do want to see this again. Um, and I really want to take note of, you know, just the structure of the film. Yes. Know, even more. I just want to, I, I really, this, this film in general um, deserves uh, more than one view. Now, I, I will see that right off the bat, right? Oh, yeah. But yeah, me in particular, I really do want to see it again because I have See. a feeling like the, the nitpicks that I have um, may not be as, as you know, they, they, they won't be like scratching the roof of my mouth as all that if I, if I were to watch it again. That's what, mm -hmm. that's what I try to say. Right, so Ricardo, spoiler-free review. Tell me, tell me how wrong I am. Um, I, I kind of halfway agree with you, but no, I'm on, I'm on uh, CC side on this one. Um, this yeah. movie, it is, it is clumsy. There's a lot of clumsiness in it at times. But no, I, I, I was surprised as to where they went with it and what they did with it, as it is as, as an arc. Um, for the most part, I, I couldn't get myself to hate this. And again, when it was, I, I'll admit the, the true strength of the film does lie in. Um, you know, the tribute to Chadwick, right? As a tribute to Chadwick, perfect, amazing, really, really well done. Um, even the kind of little bullshitty loophole they do at the end, which we could get again to the debate about, right? Um, I, I, I still even thought that wasn't half bad uh, in terms of its its uh solution to a problem. Let's just call it that, right? Um, but but in terms of an arc and making it work, it's there's a lot of repetition, a lot of the same problems the first film had. Like in my opinion, Okoye had more or less the same problem that Wakabi had in the first film in terms of how much time and, and effort it should be catered towards that amount of emotion. Um, and ultimately, uh, the action was, whilst, you know, a little laid back, um, still could have been better for what it was. I still, I still dug it. I, I, I didn't really mind any of it in its, in its own conceit. Uh, but yeah, uh, it does have a lot of, like, remains to be seen, a lot of things that they could have done a little better and whatever it is. And again, you're not sure how much of it you're you think is is a matter of COVID versus how much it is is is, is 
um, Chadwick not supposed to be there as it, and all of that. And they have all of this, this weight in the back of your head, unfortunately. And, you know, whether or not the film should have been done at all, and have all this drama and back and forth and bad faith takes. And look, we're going to get a lot of bad faith takes about this movie in the, in the future, let's admit that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I actually liked it for what it was, the way it was doing. And ultimately, its, it's central conceits are, are excellent. Like, it, it, what, it, what it did with, with Shuri and her arc, and she effectively had to regrow up. Um, for this, and that's why a, a lot of it will. Um, yeah, so that, that just means there's some quick spoiler review. Um, sorry, non-spoiler review for that. Alright. Uh, Summer, your spoiler-free thoughts on the film? Overall, I enjoyed it. I always say I, I don't think um, of Marvel as ever making truly terrible films. Um, funny enough, though, even with the more um, heartfelt, the the somber tones to that that this film had for me i came out feeling about wakanda forever the exact same way i felt about the first film and you know just in overall in in terms of the movie there's some excellent stuff here there's some visually spectacular things here but there's also um stuff that feels cluttered um stuff that feels like it maybe should have been kept for a different movie or at least a, a film with a different tone to it and um it's just it, the the special effects as well i i really struggle with why they're having so much problems with it for this particular um this particular black panther film so i i my overall feeling for the film was the same even though it had such a different tone which surprised me a bit but i did enjoy the film and i do want to see it again because it's really hard to you know your first impressions of these movies can change quite drastically when you get a chance to really sit down and digest it instead of just gobble it all up in one go all right uh tracy tell tell us tell me sorry how wrong i am Wrong, very wrong. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> you know, let me. Let, well, first of all, let me just start by uh, giving you all a little joke about me. I um, stupidly saw a hundred and eighty something minutes, or hundred and sixty something minutes, on the website, and I thought to myself, "Oh, okay," because I went to see it like around eleven thirty, um, the late night showing, the Wednesday night in IMAX, and. Uh, left the cinema when I came out of the cinema and looked at my phone because it was on silent I saw it was like 2.20 in the morning so we basically left the cinema at like 2.30 after everything I was like oh my god time and that is when I realized how long the film was and of course the fact that I am daft and not realizing you know the amount what what the time actually meant I will say this uh, and, I, and I think this more or less encapsulates how I feel about the film and the music and everything else. I will put it this way. My mother wants to go and see Avatar, um, The Way of Water, in December. And so we will go to the cinema and sit down Oof. and watch Way of Water in the cinema. But if I didn't have to see another film for the rest of the year in cinemas, because there's stuff that's coming out on Netflix and all that other good stuff... Um, disenchantment on, on Disney Plus and all that kind of thing. But if I didn't see another film in cinemas for the rest of the year, I would not mind. I, I, I legitimately am a happy camper. Um, I, 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 I saw the film, I sat down and I watched it. I may have shouted, Kekalor, 
um, when, you know, Tanush walked onto the scene like a good few times because I was like, okay, Namor or Namor, and we can talk about that. I love <laughs> the idea of how they explained Namor yeah. um, because all during the promotional material and everything like that, he's saying Namor, and I know there's some, there would be one or two comic people who would be like, uh, actually, his name is Nemo. And I was like, okay, no, there is a logic behind all of it. I love the idea of how they expressed his underwater kingdom because Ryan himself was talking about the idea of uh, he had seen, well, you know, Ryan says this, he had seen Aquaman and he liked Aquaman and yeah. he remembered Atlantis from um, from growing up, that Disney show. And he wanted to do an underwater kingdom that could be as par on par with that, but not that Greco-Roman kind of sensibility right. of what Atlantis is and the idea of doing a Mesoamerican sensibility with Talokan. That was just brilliant. I love the 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 on screen, let's call it chemistry with uh, Namor and Shuri. Um, yeah. it, it just it, it really was. And, and let's not even talk about the music, because like I said, I have been living in Con La Brisa for like since it's it's come out. And I want to just put a little quick plug and just say thank you, Marvel Studios, for curated albums. Because we have the scores, and I love the scores. I always enjoy the scores. But also, like, 88 Rising curated the uh, Shang-Chi album, and that opened up your mind to hearing Korean uh, uh, pop music for those who yeah. may not necessarily have heard it. And then, of course, there's the Kendrick Lamar curated album. And then one could argue that James Gunn makes curated albums right. when he does his Guardians and even uh, Suicide Squad and all that kind of stuff. But... You know, so there is that. I so that for me is my net net spoiler free thought on it. If I really didn't have to go to the cinema again for the rest of the year to like to see another movie, because I will be back in the cinema to see Wakanda Forever quite a few times. I'm I'm playing it in such a way where it's like, oh, I'll bring a friend so that they can see it. Or I, I maybe my 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 steps my half siblings should come and see it. But really it's about going back and see it for like Five times, I don't know, but that is that's how I feel about it. I I loved it. I love what what the message, at least my interpretation of the message was. I like the idea of how it plays out. And yes, we'll talk about Phase Four later on, but I I maintain Phase Four has literally been about. Um, you won't go to therapy. Well, guess what? We'll make you deal with things, and so you have from yeah. Wanda all the way to. Uh, Wakanda Forever, you have a vibe that keeps propelling you forward in terms of go to, go to therapy. Uh, but I really uh, enjoy no it. Right. I, 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 <laughs> I really, I really, really enjoy it. There, I agree with you. There are one or two things I think that um, legitimately and or people um, that did not necessarily need to be in there because I didn't see how they pushed the story forward, even though they may be important to the overall MCU mythos. Um, but I'm still, I'm, I was like, okay, that, that, that is down. I will say between, um, CC and, uh, Matthew, I'm, I kind of stand in the middle because it, it could have been that maybe there might've been like, a, a Marvel special presentation short where we would have, you could have done something maybe a, instead of like a six episode arc or a nine episode arc, you could do some sort of a, like a prequel story, something that leads into where Wakanda Forever is. So by the time you get to Wakanda Forever, you don't necessarily have to dive into certain things 
that could have been a, a, a thing. But I also know there's rumors circulating that there are several uh, Wakandan themed TV series on the way. I mean, we might have the Midnight Angels, right. we might have some other stuff that's happening. So we'll see where that goes. But generally speaking, yes, I, I very much enjoyed um, Wakanda Forever. Like when I get up the next morning and I'm, and I'm washing my wares in the quietness of it all, and I'm thinking, God, that scene and those people, that is when I know I really enjoy a thing. So that's that's it for me, yeah. All right, and uh, CC to close up the spoiler-free section. Uh, yeah, your thoughts on this uh, movie here. It's one of those, oh, man. It's, it's, it's definitely proof to me that Phase 4 has, has been a series of unlikely surprises. There were movies that I was excited for that I turned out to be disappointing, and then there were movies that I was excited for, or like, I was on the fence about or nervous about that turned out to be really great. The film itself, there are problems. And definitely when we get into the spoiler section, and even a couple have been highlighted already, whether it's the effects or whether it's like some of the action being a little more on the casual side without having much, like, quite having the same punch as um, part of which I blame on like COVID condition shooting and trying to choreograph action in those types of conditions. And apparently some of the set vibes being quite weird, but things like that. But like, it's one of those movies where what it does well, it does so well that I'm not thinking about the things that didn't work for me. Right. right. Like they're, I, they're there and I can fully acknowledge them as yes, these are issues. Yeah. There's things. And like, there's two in particular that I think um, hold it back. Um, but those are less important to me than what it does. Well, and what it does well is it continues to like, one of my favorite things about the first black Panther is that it's a reauthoring of one of the older subgenres of like fantasy fiction, which is lost race fantasy. You know, the explorers go to some remote corner of the world. These, these white explorers go to some remote corner of the world and discover, uh, missing a, a lost, group of people who have been isolated from the world been living there this whole time you know we've all seen these you know, whether it's disney's atlantis the lost empire or whether it's um tarzan and the original edgar Rice burroughs novels came across these every week um whether it was uh you know king solomon's mind is like one of the very first um but what i love about the first black panther is that it successfully it reauthors this genre so instead of being about the white explorers who find them it's about the the titular lost race it is about a you know almost magical kingdom that has kept itself separate from the rest of the world trying to maintain trying to not you know especially in the case of wakanda it is a kingdom that through the miracle of its existence has survived the brutal colonization of the rest of the continent in a way that few other countries ever have like even ethiopia got conquered once by the italians during the second world war so they're continually trying to navigate this issue and that i think is one of the things that makes the that makes this franchise so special especially since in the second one we do the same thing with another species with another with another lost race so you end up with this thing where this genre is continually being reauthored as an opportunity to imagine what cult certain cultures would look like if they weren't destroyed right. which i think is a really powerful and beautiful thing that we can do with this genre right like in the first film, we're looking at Africa, but now in this one, we are looking at what it would have looked like if a Mesoamerican culture had survived. And also the idea that these cultures are into conflict, but not because like it's not because of any actual animosity between the two of them. It's because they both are aware that their position like 
Slala Khan wants to go to war because they think that Wakanda has exposed them, and if Wakanda doesn't, like, you know, like, if Wakanda doesn't take their side, then they're doomed, but then Wakanda doesn't want, doesn't, but but Wakanda is also convinced that Slala Khan will frame them for everything they've been doing in the international community, which will be all the evidence that they, that the international community needs to go to war with Wakanda, because they're chomping at the bit to do that. And that, I think, is a, is a fascinating conflict like that it's 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 not because there's any actual tension between these two cultures it is specifically because of the hostile post-colonial world in which they find themselves right like even the like the one super dark moment for me was when they were literally talking about when um as much as i think the everett ross stuff is generally weak the bit when he's in that meeting and they're talking about ways to potentially take down Wakanda, and they mentioned yeah. like a infiltration destabilization type thing, yeah. which the U.S. has such a long track record of doing, and it's like, oh god, like yeah, like this is the world in which Wakanda lives in, and it's brutal about that. So, the movie presents this conflict as so fascinating. Like you, you watch it, and like like people are already like I remember seeing a post that someone was like, hot take, um, Namor did nothing wrong, and I was like, is that a hot take? I was on Namor's side the whole time, like right. like. It's 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 a, it's a situation where and it's one of the reasons why I think the resolution of the film works so well. But no, um, one of the strongest entries in Phase Four for me, um, the central conflict continues the themes that I liked about the first film in a pretty brilliant way. Um, I was saying to someone that there are certain MCU films that are probably going to outlast the rest of the MCU simply because the rest of the MCU is all tied up in itself, right? Whereas there are certain films that stand out a little more than the others, and I think though, and are allowed to kind of be a little more filmmaker driven, especially comparing this film to Eternals, which is a movie that feels like it was meant to be more like this, but then at the last second they got cold feet, and the next thing we're getting like it's a it's a Black Knight tease, it's yeah. Harry Styles' Firefox, it's like like last second like oh crap, people aren't going to watch this quick, let's throw in additions to like other stuff because maybe that'll get them interested. But this film doesn't have that lack of confidence. It's really, really refreshing. Uh, great time. Definitely have notes. But um, the overall experience is one of the strongest. And especially given how messy this production this, this production was and how, how much worse this film could potentially have been, I'm very glad with the movie we got. Yeah. All right, so let's get into some spoiler territory. You've been warned, ew, 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 spoiler, 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 <laughs> danger, danger, warning, warning, warning. Abandon yeah, hope, right all now. ye who enter here. Yeah, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, so, yeah, Franz was kind of mad about this movie. I think so. And I now understand why. Listen. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Listen. Good. needs to be unhappy uh, more often. <laughs> listen, I sat there in that cinema. Um, I have uh, French ancestry, and um, <laughs> listen, I was so disappointed by people. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't catch what they're talking about. All <laughs> right, right. Come on, France, really? Yeah. <laughs> sequence are like, all right, so they're just straight up, they're straight up doing this then. All right, we'll, all right, Ryan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I, my jaw hit the floor at that post credit scene. I was like, his name is what? Yeah, no. Right. 
right? You went there? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, 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 all right. Since, since we're going from the, from the end now, might as well go from end to beginning, right? Taki Ricardo. So, yeah, um, post-credit scene, um, you know, well, we see um, Shuri. Well, uh, oh, and by the way, by the way, before we get to that, right, I love, it's it's one of those little subtle bits, um, subtle bit, um, nice subtle bit of writing here, where mm-hmm. Shuri, who is, you know, you know, she, she's she's contemporary, right? She's not really all about, you know, traditions and whatnot, right? No. So I love the idea that even though she is Black Panther, she doesn't have to do that ceremony where she's by the, the waterfall and she has to fight someone in combat, you know, in order yeah. to, to, to really solidify the fact that she's Black Panther. No, she just gets um, Mubaku to, to take her place. It's just like, nah, I know about that shit. I, I sorry, you know? No. So she goes Mubaku to, is king of Wakanda is going to be a fun time. <laughs> oh, yes. I hope they continue with that because that, that could lend itself. And I love the relationship as well between the two of them because you remember the yeah, first one, he was yeah. like that gal, you know, who just yeah. defies everything. Yeah. Yeah, and I I really hope they they, they draw on that for the yeah. yeah. I, I do love I was, that as well that they um they are drawing. Um, I mean, Leticia did such an amazing job of it was almost for me it was almost Henry the Fifth, where right. you have mm. you know the you know the king is dead and I have to step up. Childhood things have to be left behind. Right. And she has to go through all of that in in such a short space of time. Yeah. But you have that voice uh, in your ear and he's there and he's like listen I was I made a promise I'm gonna stand by that promise you know I am here to take care of you but at the same time I'm not here to treat you like a child anymore I, right. I that, stuff, that stuff absolutely worked for me on every level that I was fascinated by the fact that he said that he had promised her brother I was like oh yeah. the, the relationship between T'Challa and M'Baku is yeah. very different than we thought like right. or it, it developed into something very different. That is fascinating. Like mm-hmm. like that that mutual mutual rec- like kind of like a mutual recognition and respect development thing, which I really love, and it makes complete sense. Was Mbaku snapped? I can't remember if Mbaku was part no. of the snap or not. Uh, or was. I don't think no. so. he was. I know wasn't snapped. Because I know yeah. Shuri. I don't think Mbaku was Mbaku was snapped. No, I know I know Shuri was. So it would make complete no, sense yeah. that like. Um, Shuri was snapped and Baku wasn't. I wasn't sure because like, it would make complete sense. No, I remember. Like, I remember in the final scene he was looking on, seeing other people snapped. No, in that in the end. Yeah, that's what I remember as well. I don't think yeah. he was snapped. Yeah. Right. I know Koye stayed and he stayed and and yes. um, well, Chadwick um, to Chadwick. And I well and I, going on the Shuri thing. I know because like uh, I mean I I Letitia Wright is interesting because I feel as if there are like. Kugler is giving her a lot to do dramatically. And I there are a couple scenes, especially more towards the end, like where I feel like once um and we'll get more into um uh Angela Bassett in a bit, but after that plot point, there's the whole I feel like her like Letitia Wright is left carrying the movie by herself yeah. a lot of times. And I think that's one of my weaknesses. I do think the movie struggles a little bit during those scenes, like a little bit because she's like, she's carrying so much of the movie herself. And like the, the, the sad part is that because she's such a small, tiny person, it was hard to sell her being like the boss yeah. now. That yeah. was a little hard to sell because there's it, this one moment where she just like um, kind of just basically put put Umbaku in a in a spot now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, like, yes, yeah, yes. Okay. I, I get you have superpowers and whatever, but still. 
Um, yeah, and like, yeah. and she doesn't quite as an actress have that. Like, there are certain act- actors and actresses who are on the smaller side who can, like, we forget that they're not tall, right? Right. But like, Leticia Wright doesn't quite have that presence. I think is what yeah. she's missing. I was thinking about this in relation to, since we're talking about Shuri, the scene where we found out how, because when I went into this movie, I was like, huh, I think this is Ryan Coogler's first movie without Michael B. Jordan, and I was like, oh, never mind. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. We, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Well, well, yeah. well, that sequence specifically because I was, I was because Letitia Wright and Michael B. Jordan. I was like, okay, I can kind of like, like not kind of. This is what I was missing, but I remember that like there are certain when Kugler and an actor work well together, they work really well. And yeah. like, I definitely felt a little bit like Jordan was literally and figuratively kind of walking circles around her in that sequence, and. And there's and like and I feel again it's 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 mostly the second half of the film most of the first half I think she's fine I think most of the first half she's she's one of the people carrying the movie but then right. in the second half when she's carrying it more by herself it starts to it, it start she starts to struggle a little bit for right. me is my general is my general thought that but yeah I think otherwise pretty good right so so about that post credit scene right um... yes. So, so see, the, the, the theaters, I, I actually watched it in IMAX, actually, yesterday time of us um, recording this, right? And um, I, I just love how people, like, got up the moment Rihanna's um, Lift Me Up um, came Oh, my like, oh, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, no, it's like, we've, stick around, motherfucker, just wait, right? We've been so, doing this um, so long. <laughs> yeah, so, mid-credits scene now, you know, um, uh, well, right. So, basically, Cherie is there in, in Haiti, right? Because Nakia, you know, we play by, you know, we heal Lupita Nyong'o. Um, she is there, right? So yeah, uh, big reveal is that well, you know, Shuri have uh, sorry, oops, uh, Nakia actually have a son. Well, had a son, sorry, with um, T'Challa, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and you know the name is Tusa, uh, right? Or Tusa, right? Tusa, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then well, you know, is 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 when um, Nakia says, well, you know, his Wakanda name is T'Challa, and right. like two, three people behind me, two women, I was like, yeah, blah, yeah, yeah, and start clapping, and I was right. like. All right, I might as well clap too, you know. But yeah, that that is actually a big, big, big deal. I actually like that though. Actually, it's a, it's actually a bit of a loophole, um, a loophole for Marvel, eh? Yeah. yeah. Actually, actually yeah. I appreciate um uh, Shuri's response to where she she kind of smiles and you know she's like, yeah, so the so the yeah, one, like, yeah, yeah. So because what what the point I get that is that you would think because it's the MCU, okay, they have to have some big amazing you know um post credit scene and some and you hear some ominous music and then it cut to black it's like no well no the, the, um actually the, because the line's gonna continue on so i, yeah, I didn't it. think they would go big honestly like i i what i predicted um was that they would be more quiet and somber because of the fact that this entire thing is basically a love letter to chadwick boseman so i i honestly did not expect anything like um I mean, it was a surprise in in that they 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 revealed the whole having a son, but I didn't expect them to go too big with the post credit just because of what what has come before. Here's here's my heights with that. I <clears throat> saw um, uh, Prince T'Challa, and I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, okay, if 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 Chadwick was around, the Black Panther film series would have had that, and Shuri would have been part of the Young Avengers. He's gone, T'Challa's gone, Shuri is right. now the Black Panther. So now you actually set up by bringing in Toussaint, by bringing in Prince T'Challa, you actually yeah. have, in a few years, 
another yeah, member yeah. of yeah. of the Young Avengers because you have right. Billy and you have Tommy. Billy and Tommy like about 12, 13. He's six, seven. Um, and then, of course, all the way up to like Kate Bishop and, right. and Kamala, who are like Kate is in her 20s and Kamala is a teenager. So you're getting that idea now of the Young right. Avengers really being set up, at least the Marvel Studios version of it. Yeah, 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 I, I, yeah. I got it that as well uh, myself. And I, I, again, this is this is halfway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's halfway bad faith takes kind of halfway thing. But like people are like, oh, yeah. well, it's still taken away from Chadwick. And they shouldn't do this. And this is a thing. And da, 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 da. I was like, yeah, what? Like, I don't really have a problem with this as it is. Like, it's yeah. this is fine, mostly fine. Like in my like opinion. It, but I, I could yeah. see a, a bad faith argument or two coming about. About oh well this this taken away from the memory still and blah 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 and like well not really I mean it's a different character it's a child of two it's not the same character you know right I get what that, that's why for. they said so, um, his name is T'Challa son of T'Challa right right so that, that's and it. it's not that's the same it. thing and I, I get like again I could see bad fate takes a two but I I I enjoyed it for what it was and what it was just trying to do and yeah. go for um, I was. I was impressed. This is one of the things I was saying earlier. I was impressed they didn't throw in another post credit scene because, like, I was, like, given that the movie is so somber and is such a, like, intentional tribute to Chadwick all the way up to the opening credits scene, right? Like, like the, the, the Marvel title card that's all, like, right. yeah, Black Panther. Yeah, one so minute was, of silence. Yeah, they, 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 did that, they did that two years ago yeah. for Black Panther on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Like the fact, like it would have been. This is one of the few I will say, because it would have been so awkward if after a movie that was like that or whatever, whatever. I don't know. We then get a post post credit scene with Lady Vi walking into the briefing room for the for um the Annihilators or whatever this um, Thunderbolts. <laughs> the, the the Thunderbolts going. All right, everyone, you know what you have to do. It's like uh, 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 nah. a little t- yeah. little or like Harry Styles shows up in this one. But like, so I did appreciate that there was only the one, and I feel like it's very soft setup, right? Yeah. Like it's not it's not as direct and overt as like you know what we've kind of been used to with Marvel up until this point, as far as their setup goes in their post credit scene, like um. Anyone else, when they watched uh, Doctor Strange 2 and that particular ending, get a yeah. little bit of a Super Mario bad. Brothers movie vibe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty like, bad, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was, yeah. like, not, and then, like, it, either good or bad. It, was, it, just, it just kind of felt, like, like, very direct. But it was very glad to not see that kind of thing in this film as well. Like, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know, we might as well just jump to that, to that opening sequence. Because, yeah, um, this is where we see... Well, not just, you know, the funeral procession that we, we, we were expecting, you know, through the trailers. Um, but more or less, uh, 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 I don't want to say a hint, but more or less like a, a showing of, you know, the, what, what potentially led to, you know, the character of T'Challa dying, right? In the first place, mm-hmm. right? Um, I like that it actually, uh, with, you know, with Shuri in her lab and the DNA stuff. I love that that actually incorporates into the, the, um, the, the, the herb, right? That um, mm-hmm. Black Panther has right. to take. I, I like that they kind of tie it back to... Sorry, that they tie to genetics is not so much about the mysticism about it, even though it's still there, right? So I like that, right? I like that, you know. Well, of course, I mean, you're not gonna see Chadwick um, on screen, right? But I like that. Oh, it's this sort of illness, and you know, she's trying to do damn this to stop to to, yeah. to save him, and it's like, no, he died. Right. No. All right. So this is this is where where the big bad fate part will come in, right? So people, okay. you know, people come in with the, with the, with the bullshit of, well, you know, they're so advanced, and how come they they this unclosed disclosed illness. And I'm like, yeah, guy, this is like, this is no different from, it's addressing a real tragedy. Yeah, it? it's like Love yes, and Thunder. Yes. It's no, it, and it's also like Love and Thunder where um, 
the the character uh, you know ca- is human cancer is cancer it's right. doing what it's doing right and, yeah, exactly you know it's not, it's there, not there that, that thing things, yeah there's some things but, that but even even, even that like even if you're saying is, is a cancer thing or not like okay so yeah. i in my head i had a solution because uh, again now it usually as usual i shouldn't really be taking these people seriously because you know it's it's you know the usual yeah they'll, they'll like, always have something wrong, to com- right? they'll always have something to complain about right like, that bullshit but like exactly i do in my head i do i did have a kind of a counter solution to it and i i felt the answer could have come in love and thunder but i in my head i don't know if this would have been respectful i don't think it would have been as respectful as, as what kugler decided to do ultimately um hmm. which is my attitude was oh because of gaudy god butcher um bass dies and Chadwick in some type of you know mystical emergency have to take her place or something like that. So oh. he's not he's not amongst he's not dead, but he's not amongst the living. But it, it's like a big thing that has to go above and beyond because I actually Black like Panther, that. Black Panther also has a lot of supernatural elements, states and that kind of thing. So so it got into that that weird stuff about um, you know how Shuri is still skeptical of the gods. Like right, which was like which was that was one of the things I found a little weak about her. Like there were so many points in the movie where I'm like, okay. Movie is really leaning on how skeptical she is about all this at this point. I'm right. like, did you not some... see in action? Right, give us some other per... right. Give again. us some other personality traits, please. Right, again, <laughs> again. You know, it 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 it's an isolated film, and I, I don't bother me because it's like this is like no different from when Spider Man was looking at the World Trade Center breaking down. Right, it's that. It's yeah. a, like a right. You know, you don't really address the oh well, we can save people or we can stop the planes or we can see it ahead of time. Like no, sorry. That's not how these storytelling is work, and you're not supposed no. to keep it's not a real universe. Like chill out, right? That that's yeah. why that's why I don't I'm not getting into these arguments. That even though yes, they're technically valid arguments, read the room, please. You know, it's yes. one of those, right? Yeah. Um so yeah, that so I I I'm gonna end with that with the bad faith stuff, right? With the actual right. bad stuff. Um I do think I was agreeing with you with, with her characterization. It's not again, because you know, they had to do a lot of reshoots and, and COVID. Yeah. And I, I was yeah. I straight up think that uh, this is this is a real world thing. I, I straight up think that COVID was a big factor in in Chadwick Boseman's death because mm. you know he would have been the amount of resources and the, just the opportunity cost of it. Like yes. you know the the, the 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 all the health centers or wherever it is would have to like maybe he would have to hold back a little bit on some treatment or take a little bit of time and stuff like that. Now and right. then you know you know the dominoes start to fall now because of her death and all the trauma and and, and you know people just trying to process this on on set. She not really handled it well, so she kind of, she kind of, you know, turtle shell herself emotionally, and then that just tied into the vaccine stuff. And like, I, I, that's why I, on the one end, yeah, I, I do, I was totally against so on the, the vaccine stuff. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but she's going through something, so I didn't really want to go there with that. You could clearly tell it's mostly that, like in that sense, mm. of you know, just you don't want to talk to her, and she's just not in the mood because she was the, the source of a lot of problems in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of like the hair and the production behind the scenes, they're like, oh yeah, yeah. the teacher right injured again on, on this stunt stunt scene and how she had to do this, that, and the other. And I was like, oh right. or, or the whole or the whole bit where where shooting was just straight up delayed because they had to fly her back to the UK and they right. wouldn't and, and they weren't letting unvaccinated people back into the US. Right, exactly. And which all just shut production down completely. Right, right. Someone so, someone said, and I and I do agree with this because like I'm not a fan of her because of the anti-vax stuff, but someone did say, and I actually was thinking about this a lot, they were like, All right. Y'all are outraged about Letitia Wright. I get it. Y'all better bring the same energy for Evangeline Lilly and her anti-vax stuff when we get right. to yes, right. yes. Or yes. we're going to get a little yep. suspicious. Right, like... right. No problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all of that. All of that. And no, But that's the thing. I, again, because you have all of this real world waiting to trying to mix into yeah. the fantasy story, 
it does show its its problems. And you know, this is something that time will not be forgiven to. Like you'll have to show context to the film. Like when you're watching this from ten years from now, and you have a whole, whole bunch of people who have no memory of COVID coming up or whatever. Right. It is. You get my point, right? Um, yeah. Time, to, time, to, time tends to be unforgiving to this kind of stuff, right? Um, and I, I really was thinking what what they could have done otherwise in terms of like the decision making or, or foresight or after fact. And in, I, I still, for the most part, you know, in the given the emergency, yeah, um, you know, Ryan Coogler made a lot of right choices with respect to that. Like that's how I feel about this whole yeah. all these decisions and core conceits now for what it is, right? Because well, especially, movie, especially if it was anybody else, the movie would have been scrapped straight up. Oh, straight like, up, especially since like. Up. In the wake wake of his death, like in the wake of Bozeman's death, there was all this shit swirling and people being like, "All right, well that's sad, but better re-. like people saying that they should recast the part, people right. saying that they should recreate him with CGI." And I was, which was insane. I what was if they fucking so did that? Upset when I saw that, I was yeah. like, "Come on!" Because you know how you know how I felt. You know how I felt with that with with that Ghostbusters, and I didn't like mm-hmm. I didn't like all that much. I did I did that, and I was like. You're fucking serious with this? You better fucking <laughs> not. But like, but what it did, what it did, all things considered, I thought was ultimately really respectful. That final scene when she when she had to burn the the cloth, the um, the, yes. that was, the, yeah. the, the, the ceremonial dress, I believe it yeah. was. Yeah. Such a great scene though. It's like wow, yeah. this come together like, in the end. Like really one good. of her best. Like, oh, and, and, and speaking movie. of that, I I love that you know when you hear the Rihanna song or uh, when when you hear Rihanna song, sorry. You know, like usually when it comes to MCU film, you're expecting some kind of like um, stylized, you know, um, you know, credit scene. It's like no, yeah, no. It, it's yeah. just a close up of just you know the, the fire, the, yeah, the yeah. fire, right? And yeah. that, that, that's it, right? That's it. That's it. Yeah, like and, and I was like, all right, I, I get, I get why this work, you know. I, again, I, I can't be mad at any of this for what it is, but it, it does have its clumsiness and its problems. And I, I'm not yes. sure. I, here's the problem, as I say, you're saying counterfactuality, factuality. And but I'm not sure where you know much like with the rest of the MCU for phase four, I, you know, COVID is the biggest factor by far. Like because yes. remember, I, I I don't know if it's I don't know where I heard this from, but I think it's a TikTok I think where this woman just break down like oh how they shoot everything in one sequence and that's why and all of that happened during COVID and that's why mm-hmm. everything played out the way it did. And it's like all right, well that's just opportunity cost. You couldn't you know you're not sure if it's on four errors or not no that kind of stuff right well on, well on top of that you're dealing with that and there's also all the production stuff that comes from the the ongoing cgi crisis right that, that as well right? which is yeah, a exactly. huge problem right now right. since like marvel exactly. in particular is the central like they're not part like they're not the part of the problem they are the problem yeah like, they are main probably by far the biggest factors bearing here in especially in that final sequence um i it it was almost jarring because like i said it was an issue the first time around yeah i thought they would have given it a bit more focus knowing that people did talk about it and all sorts of that. yeah especially since we now know because so many artists have spoken up if we see shots like that now we know what causes them it's like oh These were rushed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. this this was a sequence that got retooled. What, what you, learn, you, start, you start learning. Well, again, don't spend too much time on this, and we could probably just move on. Uh, yeah. you, you start learning. You know, uh, uh, like what was planned ahead of time, and was you learn a lot of CG yes. stuff just not planned. So that's the distinction between, say, um, why Thanos looks so good as opposed to um, She-Hulk, right? Um, yes. Because they they planned ahead of time. They, they, with Thanos, they had a lot of clear shots. And look, is is Thanos right? He ain't really he ain't really doing that much emotions yeah. per se, right? Look just how much him, work him went into right? thing, though. Look how much work went into man thing, and that is so recent. And look how beautiful that came out. Right, oh, exactly. yeah. Well, a big factor it was black and white, uh, to be fair. But um, <laughs> no, but, but 
I, I did check the, if you look into the, the background, they did so much practical effects work on that. And then they just in the well, enhanced them with the CG and the, yeah. the end product. I'm like, so why can't, if you can do this well, for this because small my, screen, my, why my can't you do my, this for your big budget movie? Yeah, well, my right. theory with, my theory with, where, with, with Werewolf by Night was that they did so much of the rest of the, of the short practically. And it's such a smaller production that they then, the, the one thing that was mostly CG or like a lot of CG that they had, yeah. they, they had a lot more space to like. Right. Right. To like to make like, it to make it really good. Yeah, that's right. what I think ends up happening. Uh, anything else? All oh, right. So that's again, as I said, that's what my, my, my bad with the film. Well, um, right. As I say, Okoye. Okay, Okoye mm. felt like uh, afterthought. Like I get what they're trying to go for, um, but I felt it felt rushed and it, it made some sense in the context of the story. Like okay, mm. you know, right. They they throw back a set of shit in your face about about Wakabi and whatnot. Mm. I, I, I get what he was going for with it, but I felt. It yeah, felt, like, he felt she felt like Wakabi in the first film. Like again, a, supposed to be a serious idea and a serious concept of, of Wakabi's dad. And then it's just a total ba- afterthought. Like in terms of yeah. like, oh well, he just not really that. And I, I felt with that with again, mostly because I was distracted with Michaela Cole as as I thought as the upcoming starner. Like I didn't think they would have make a, such a big central um conceit with with, with um It's funny with how Ruben. you you talk about Michaela Cole. I actually felt that way about Lupita Nyong'o because I felt like mm. what is right here. At one point, I was wondering, wait a minute, are they going to surprise us? And is Nakia going to take up the mantle of Black Panther? I was yes. kind of hoping for that. Yes. yes. Right. See, she's the warrior. She's the one with all these, this background in spying and all right. of the skill. And they talk about it. And right. then I feel too, as you mentioned, Cece, the physicality of it. I could believe yes. that she could stand up to Mbaku. You know, whereas yes. with, with Shuri, you have to say, well, you know, she's super strong now. I don't right. even think yeah. that when it comes to Nakia. I think well, Nakia can Lupi- take out well, Mbaku without right. powers. So. Well, right. because, and then, well, last because, well, partially because Lupita Nyong. Lupita Nyong'o is a physical actress. She's done a yeah. lot of physical... She's yeah. used to more physical acting, which yeah. I feel like those are the kind of actors that Ryan Coogler works well with, like actors who can bring a certain level of, like, physicality to their performances. Shuri yeah. was never that physical a performance. And right. so suddenly she has to step into one of the lead roles. And, like, yeah, there is kind of that missing... Whereas Lupita Nyong'o could have just, like, nailed it. Like, can you imagine yeah. her playing the, like, final confrontation with, with Namor? Like, right. yeah. that would... Yeah. Oh, well, 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 you God. see the problem with that? No. Um, well, before we get to, to Ricardo's source now, well, is, is how the... the, how the how, you know, Shuri's conflict is uh, how her, her story act plays out now. Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, we, we have because to she's... mention um, the, the, the death of Ramonda, which actually caught me by surprise, right? I was. Um, yeah. Same. Same. Oh, absolutely same. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, in the, and how, it, how it's set up, too, with, you know, the, well, Nemo's, Namor, sorry, first attack on Wakanda and, you know, him using... These these really nifty um water these, these these water bombs. Yeah, like yeah. the dreadest water balloons ever, boy. Right? Oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, Ramonda literally drowns inside the throne room dread, and and yeah. it's wow. just that scene with Shuri trying to you know like you know mother 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 like that one got to me, boy. You know what I mean? Well, and even like the, um yeah. the, the funeral procession um the funeral is something. The profession um procession because we did see it. We just saw a uh, funeral. Um, yeah, mirrors exactly what we saw in the beginning with um, the challenge. That, that really hit. You know? Well, yeah. I was but thinking I think that's that... the reason why um, Shuri, yeah. you know, it's that's why Shuri has to be the new well, one. And this is Black Panther, right? and this is what I was saying about these my second thing, and it ties directly into this because the like I think 
Letitia Wright leading this struggles to lead this movie. And that's the movie's one 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 of the movie's weaknesses for me. The other main weakness is that this is a thematically distracted film. Not right. as far as like all the plot points and everything, but as far as like the movie's central theme is pulled in two directions. Because right. what I think happened was when this was Chadwick and Kugler figuring out this movie. This was going to be about um, why intersectionality is so important and the conflicts that arise as a result of like white pressure between marginalized groups. Because right. and because and, like everything fits into place for that theme, right? Like that's all there. And I'm like, I feel like Ramonda still would have died, and then that would have left like Chadwick. Um, Dealing like 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 T'Challa dealing with that loss and that grief and then like going like, like, like and then, yeah right yeah. and then like and then Shuri you know synthesizes the the herb and he goes into the world and then he meets like Killmonger again and like like I feel like part of the reason the second half in particular feels a little like Letitia struggles to carry it is because it all feels like it was much it was definitely written with Bozeman in mind but sure. then because Bozeman passes away. The story gets retooled and restructured into a story about moving on from grief. And so now the movie is about two things. And I think that at its weakest, the film is being pulled between these two themes. Conflict between marginal groups and grief and moving on. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah, the movie's yeah, weakest totally scenes are, are bits where it feels like it's being tugged between those two ideas and or like one idea has kind of been neglected for the sake of the other idea. Like yeah. no more be like no more being like, I'll, this was a warning. I'll give you a week. Well, it's a week so that we can like have time for like everyone to prepare and everything. Um, or like, and like, and like, and to be fair though, this is why I think Ryan Coogler is underrated as like one of the best filmmakers, because there are so many filmmakers who given the same assignment would have made a much weaker movie. Much for weaker it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, much weaker. Because think yeah. about, how one of the best scenes in the movie, and we all agree with this, is Ramonda's confrontation with Okoye. Yeah. And her yeah. brilliant, oh my God. Look, we all knew that Angela Bassett is a phenomenal actress. This isn't news. <laughs> this isn't news, but goddamn, she just occasionally will remind us. Sorry, the United Nations sequence um after the Oof, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she, she the park with that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going somewhere. Sorry, forgot it. No, sorry, I was just saying Denai uh held her own against Angela in that. I mean, yeah. I felt yeah. that, oh boy. that when that tear went down well, I was like, yeah. oh, I feel that too. Fear yeah. coming Oof. from a like Okoye. <laughs> You know, that, like that, that's a that I expected to see. She yeah. turned into a child in front of her queen mother. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. Like, I was, like, <laughs> that's the kind of, like, powerhouse directing that I associate with Ryan Coogler at this point. Because, right. like, you understand that this is the most devastating thing that could happen to Okoye right now. Because, yeah. like, you know how much of her life and her loyalty is the throne. But you completely, like... And so you kind of, for a moment, go, Ramonda, you're being a bit harsh. And then she delivers that monologue. You're like, you know what? I, I get it. I get where you're coming from. Never mind. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. it's, de it's devastating, but God, right. yeah, I, I get it. 
So right. Yeah. So well, I just want to make that's... well, I'll I'll make my final point um after Ricardo, right? So yeah, Ricardo, we we will hold it back. We're sorry, but yeah, Ricardo was, was <laughs> no, no, yeah, uh, it's fine. Um, no, the, right. So the big the big sticking point and the big change, which was a surprisingly good change in my opinion, was Riri Williams. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I was so shocked to see the story so centralized on her because I really thought they were going to remind us that you know she look look new Iron Man, she ripping off Iron Man, <laughs> connected to Iron Man. Not really. In fact, you know, why she's in the story have nothing to do with Iron Man. Nothing. nothing. In fact, they basically... They <laughs> Which basically, I love. They steal, they steal the main plot point from the movie Real Genius, if you remember that movie, right? With Val Kilmer, oh, right? God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I thought, so I thought that was a great call. The, the whole Iron Man stuff was, was incidental. It's like, oh, yeah, right. In this world, you know, almost everybody and their mother could probably make an Iron Man suit if they have enough time, right? But, you know, she, she worked on it because, yeah, Iron Man is the influential figure of technology in the world. That Well, he died. Right. Um, and I, I, I see people make it again another bad faith thing. I really hate to, to address the bad faith nonsense, but like people saying how it looking like a Power Ranger suit and it looking like a, something on Bullshit. Fortnite. And like, um, I, hello, I, 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 I can, I can years understand old. because, but is it color? Is it is it color? No, that would throw I'm, people off. Okay, I mean, that's, no, that's, a, no. that's a real heavy criticism I'm right really, there. No I'm really tired of people complaining about stuff being too colorful. This is the same bullshit we dealt yeah. with when, right. when, Boba, when Boba Fett came out and people were complaining that their bikes were too bright. I was like, oh, shut up. Right. Can I have fun, please? <laughs> yeah. But but the thing I, is, she 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 is nineteen years old. Yes. Yeah. The thing though is that like you know, uh, she's first of all, she's getting her own show where she could adapt the suit if she wanted to well, do, you know, like a mock three or a mock five. Right, but what it did, and then, what it did you know, that I liked where she went at the end is like she really told her, like, look, you can't keep the suit, sorry. Like yeah, in a, in <laughs> yes. a great, like simple you know, I am the adult in the room now. Sorry, I, I'm going to make this call on you. Uh, so, you can't make it. So she have to more or less rebuild this from scratch kind yes. of thing. Uh, so as, as, a, as um, the, comic, the comic reader in the group, <laughs> um, <laughs> I have to mention that I absolutely love, like how you guys say it does not, they did not have to involve Tony Stark, even though he's right. heavily involved in the Ironheart comic books. Right, um, right. Having to take back the suit, that actually is part of it because he was he was very impressed. But she built the suit out of pieces of his armor right. that she would pick up from fights that, you know, wow. oh, this fell off. I'm going to take this. Oh, this fell off. I'm going to take that. Oh, that's hilarious. Right? And, um, and he's like, you know what? This is eventually going to get you killed because this stuff is unstable. However, I'm amazed by your genius. Let's right. see what you can do given the right resources. So right. I, I love that, um, as you say, they give a reason to take it away from her. Right. Let's see what you can build with the right, right. resources. And then this is this is this is my nerd part of it, right? So what I don't like about um Tony's latest armors is the whole I didn't I didn't I wasn't a big fan of the Tony nanotech stuff. Mostly because okay. because of the lack of moving Extremis. parts. Good comic book run, terrible movie interpretation. <laughs> I love the comic yes. run. Right. But um, <laughs> and, and what, what I was thinking that they, they could they could address one of the little small problems I had with, with 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 the new Tony Stark armor is you could have small modularity, like like nanotech, but it didn't it don't have to be so small that it's nanotech that it just feel like another Black Panther outfit. Like that's okay. what it felt like, um, in my right. opinion. So what I wanted in my head, and again, you know, Matt nerd stuff is like, yeah, they could reference Penrose styles or make it like puzzle pieces or something like that, right? Something okay. weird like that, but it's like, it's a nerd thing. And I, I really wanted them to do more, more of these like little, little small things addressing like real world maths and real world, you know, physics and chemistry and stuff like that. No, like right. the MCU has halfway done that, but, but, but mostly because the Tony Stark character is the best at doing that. And I'd, I really wanted to reset that with the Williams character. But for the most part, she served a good purpose. I mean, yeah, she was a little mm -hmm. bit of a, 
of a effectively a MacGuffin. But it worked yes. for the most part. And I, again, the logic of it have some wanting, no no problem. But again, given the circumstances of two goddamn amaze uh, two crises, you know, within the for the film. Um one with yeah, the and COVID. Uh it, it it was good enough for what it was. And she she was pretty good. She had she had all the comedy lines. Like yeah, uh, yeah. Again, without, be, so, without being the comic relief character, which right? I exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. well, my last point, and then I'll give reason. Like, so I wanted. Um, I really, really was surprised. Again, I really thought they would have had Aneka be the be the be the central figure, like whatever Aneka was up to, what he was doing. And I, in my head, is my, my money morning quarterback and nerd nerd moment. I really thought that she they were going to gender flip Akibe, right? The the villain. Um, and I thought Aneka mm-hmm. was going to play that character. Like, oh, that what they were going to do, but nope. It just did really make an essential thing. Um, I'm not sure what it, the thing is. I don't know if you're gonna get a, a Black Panther for a hot minute, given you know at least a, a movie. Like yeah. A Black Panther. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I, I think. I don't it's think you're gonna be... get one for a while, but um, yeah, I I, I was don't... ultimately happy with this rating. I will give this an 8.5 out of 10, closer to a nine to be honest. Um, Same. All right. All right. right. I, had, I had very similar issues with the first film, right? And I I do think Nemo. I didn't talk about him too much. But I do think Nemo was a little too much in some ways of a repeat of uh of of Killmonger in terms of the conceit. Like I get that's the conceit of the story anyway for sure. Uh, Nemo's supposed to be a kind of an asshole kind of figure, and you get what you're going for. But they they, they play with a very similar idea of you know the, the child who is rejected kind of thing. And like well, you, you kind of see this already. And it's a very similar idea and story, but but put in a better frame and in context. To be honest, I feel um, like he's not. I feel like he's not a rejected because like unlike. I feel like he's less of a rejected child and more of like a righteous protect. Like Killmonger, right. you always got the sense that he was out for person. Like he took personal vengeance very, and yeah. had this, and the government allowed him to channel this into righteous fury. Whereas I feel like with Namor, he is more of a protector. He is right. like, he actually, I feel like he's the opposite. Like he has a very strong sense of family and community, but he's yeah. now gotten to this point where he's like, I've seen what will happen if I don't protect them. So now I exactly. have to. Like there's, right. there's, there are, there are similar, there are always much, they're very similar. And I think that's almost feel like that's done on purpose. I don't know. But right. like they are similar characters. But I do think that the big difference is, um, yeah, Killmonger is the abandoned child, but Namor is more of like I will do whatever it takes to protect my my, my family like right. type thing like yeah yeah I, and they make it work they make it work for what it was yes. I, again ultimately good action I enjoyed it for what it was I I was digging the, the silly you know you know um feathers on the feet you know like I like that that was they made that work so well yeah yeah make it work so for what it was yeah, yeah. Like, yeah right like, and, 8.5 they, and they yeah, well, right. and they didn't I was really I was convinced from the trailers they were gonna do like and then he invented a pair of little metal wings to bullshit, fly yeah, with nope yeah. they're nope, organic wings, actual wings it's like oh I didn't. The last point, so uh, like, yeah, my boy, my boy outright said he would mutant. Um, yes. All right. Yes. Yeah. So, it's like, guys, <laughs> yeah. so, like, right, thank you, Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I uh, ultimately 8.5 out of 10 um, for me. I, I really liked it. I was so surprised it was as good as it was. Yes. Uh, same. It made it really, really work for what it was. And yeah, I, I could see people appreciating it, if, if, if not anything. But, you know, just as a, just as, in my opinion, it was really, really touching and, and excellent, um, you know, um, you know, Sequence for, for chat, um, you know. Yes. As a, I was going to say send off. Like, um, reference. Yeah. Sorry. No, I, I was going to use it with send off. Send off. Right. Right. Good enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I can't be I can't be mad at any of this for for what it is. It, it is messy at parts, but it's way better than 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 Thor: Love and Thunder and, and um and Doctor Strange. And I, I enjoyed those movies, but this was like okay, we now feeling like a, a workable sense of gravitas 
stop effing around. Right. I didn't know and they get you. That's the thing with the movie. They catch you by the end because I wasn't crying in the beginning. That was normal. Eh? But that last scene when, he, when she's on the bird, he take boys like, yeah, boy. They were, they, well, they, especially they, since I was thinking get, about how, I was thinking about how like the MCU is often criticized for for tone, especially lately as people are really starting to dig into over-reliance on lampshading, right, um, right. too much too much like looking at the audience and going, we know this is a little ridiculous, but whatever. And like what I've loved about the Black Panther movies is how Ryan Coogler takes it 100% seriously. Like yeah. characters still like laugh and have interpersonal relations. It's like, like the other big comparison is Guardians. Cause yes, the Guardians also do a fair amount of lampshading, but that's because they're all traumatized and they feel uncomfortable by taking anything too seriously. So it makes sense right. they would like crack jokes at inappropriate times. Where Black Panther is serious and almost regal in itself because that's the kind of tone that fits it so well. And I appreciate and, and like, yeah, especially this movie that's such a like moving tribute. Yeah, that last scene in particular where she's burning the funeral clothes has a lot of quiet gravitas and like just quiet melancholy yeah. to it, like in a brilliant and beautiful way. Yeah, yeah, so, so, so a couple of quick points. 8.5 out of 10, that's my reason. Yeah. Right, that's like the two times you see that reason, right? But I'll just say a couple quick um, points and then reason, right? Um, yeah, so I forgot to mention, um, you know, um, the inclusion of Everett K. Ross, right? That, that's what I see the character. Yeah. Right? Yes, I know he's a fan favorite, you know, the colonizer. Ha, 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 right? But I just felt like his bits, I didn't expect that he, they, would, they would tie him with, um, with, with Valentina, no, um, played by Julia Louis. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's revealed that, you know, um, Bounty was actually um, his, his ex. Like, all right, okay. But, like, I understand why why there, because it's supposed to connect to Falcon Winter Soldier, okay. All right, well, and also Thunderbolts. Was there, Thunderbolts, right, yeah. Thunderbolts, yeah. She did not need to be there stuff. at all. She, yeah. she really didn't. Well, but I mean, she was a good framing, though, of, of a bad Americano. Like, that's why yeah. she was there. Well, so yeah. since no, the movie... See, Especially since the movie's not gonna have more teeth than that. This isn't right. Suicide Squad where they can straight up like make the bad guy the U.S. government. It's still Marvel, and Marvel's always gonna play those issues a lot softer. Yeah. But like, even with that being said, Lady Valentine gets pretty damn close sometimes. Yeah, for real. No, but like the thing for me though is like seeing her at the end of 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 Black Widow and seeing her like how she operated in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And it was almost as if they turned the heat down on her a little bit or maybe she came she came be like that must have been one of the studio notes hey we are you know bringing in this we need to bring in more of valentina because like valentina when she walked into the courtroom in episode five of falcon there's this kind of this is the female nick fury kind of she has a vibe when i saw her in this i was like oh wow valentina is here okay she was married to him that's great but also there was something about the way like that there's a there's a a boardroom scene there with a couple of the agents and her and that kind of yeah there was something about that that just felt like if the character Valentino was at the side, like if it was just brought yes. down a little, and that is what why I feel like okay, maybe we didn't necessarily need to have her here. She could have stayed in in the background until. Like I think, like I think, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think there's a justification that like, oh, she's kind of playing it a little softer so she can lure him into a false sense of yeah. security and have him tell yeah, everything he knows. But, too, yeah. but yeah, if that you. was the if that was the case, like the film doesn't do a pretty good job. That doesn't really do a great job of making that clear. If that was the case, so that's more of like a debatable reading than anything else. Right. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I, I felt they could at least re, um, put 
Everett. Like, oh, right, like they put effort into making Everett a party story with right. him, him helping out Shuri and you know Koye, you know, during um during the the acquisition, if you will, of um of Riri, right? So right, yeah, but after that, it was just like, all right, we don't know what to do with him. Let's arrest him and then we do well, like a sort of a, a Fast and Furious four moment where you know he's 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 in that prison van locked up and oh, we're coming to save him now and it was like, all right. I really feel that. Right? It's like um, he has less to do in this than the first one, and even in the first one, he didn't have he, that much. Yeah. He felt like the token white character that we have yeah, to include because otherwise we can't get them to see this movie. Like, <laughs> but this but one he has even less to do somehow. Purpose to begin with in these Black Panther movies to kind of poke fun at the reverse of it. Here's yeah, white, a little bit. Like, you know. Yeah, I mean a little bit. I get it. A little bit. <laughs> Yeah, and, and last but not least, though, uh, I won't lie to um, seeing Killmonger again, though. Wow. Um, Whoa. It's the context of it, too, though. You know, the, the uh, I forgot what you call it, that That's dream. That was moment. Huh? <laughs> That's what I thought of it. There yeah, maybe. It is, it is. It's technically, it is that, right? But, um, like, oh, and also, also points for, for Marvel Studios, boy, for, you know, their, their marketing of the film, right? And, you know, yeah, like, I was genuinely surprised. Flames, right? And yeah, they actually removed Killmonger out of the frame. So you're just seeing Shuri stand up there with all these flames around it, like, oh, okay, what's going on? But they slap some <laughs> like, Damn. okay, Rihanna, new song, lift me up, right? That That's how they, how they do, use it, right? But yeah, it's like, oh, that's what's really going on, right? But yeah, I mean, um, Michael B. Jordan came, crushed it. I like that, you know, it is him more or less kind of giving um, Shuri a choice and whatnot. <laughs> If I, well, again, just just going back to to structure, um, I wish this mm-hmm. came in a little earlier, and not too early, but a little earlier in the film, man, because this is near the end of, of the third act now, and this is when she finally becomes Black Panther, and oh, is now when she go when she finally gets her one fight in the film, one fight, right? Um, against um, uh, Namor, that's when she has to make that choice, now. like like I felt like structurally it should have came a a little earlier, right? But that being said, though, while I do have issues with the pacing of it in terms of the structure of the narrative and just all these, you know, subplots just going here, there, everywhere, um, the the just the effort put into this though, and just the ambition, and just the mere mm-hmm. fact that it, um, despite all the flaws that you know it has and whatnot, it is still a loving tribute and send off to the man, the myth, yes. the legend, Chadwick Boseman. But yeah, I mean, what kind of forever delivers, man? Um. This is one that I definitely will rewatch though because I feel like if I watch it yes. again, I'll appreciate it a lot more. It's just first time off. It's just all right. I like this, but I just find structurally things just all over the place. But I have a feeling if I watch it again, I'll really appreciate it more. And as you said, CC, I really uh, I have a feeling I'll appreciate the quieter moments more than me. Yeah, right I now. was I was taken aback by the quiet moments because we we made the mistake of seeing this in like a decently busy theater, and it made me realize the kind of blockbusters we make these days because anytime like. It's almost a movie that you'll probably get to appreciate more either at home or in a more empty theater because whenever the movie got quieter, our audience got restless and kind of started fidgeting and talking amongst themselves or like there were even, oh God, there were even a couple people trying to take like pictures and shit. Like any, and this was anytime the movie started slowing down and get quieter. So I, so definitely those quiet moments will be more appreciated without like people that are waiting for the next action scene, you know, like... Right, yeah, I understand, I understand. So, rating-wise, at the moment, um, like a decent four to five, man. Um, despite the issues that I have with the film, I still see that this is absolutely worth checking out. If you could see it on the biggest screen imaginable, please do. 
Um, or if you're just willing to wait till it comes out on Disney Plus, and I have a strong suspicion that they may came, um, come out, sorry, uh, before Christmas, similar to like um, Encanto's drop last year, where mm. it dropped, you know, literally Christmas Eve, and then people went nuts. Oh my God, Encanto's like the greatest thing ever. And I saw that shit like about a month ago. I was like telling people, yo, it's good, watch it. It's like, no, I don't want to go cinema. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would say, um, yeah, Wakanda Forever is definitely worth checking out on the big screen, man. Um, I am still excited for, for, for Avatar 2, though, and it's so funny that, you know, this is going to be the second film involving blue people uh, in, in the ocean, right? But whatever, right? But um, just uh, in closing, it was a piece for, um, I would say, this is easily going to be the most memorable moment out of this phase, for phase, if you will, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, I'll, I'll take away She-Hulk because of just how much um, discourse and, you know, discussion was was brought out of it online yeah. you know, because, of, because of what it is, right? But yeah, I would say that and, and Wakanda Forever, yeah, easily the two things I'm gonna remember um, as far as you know, Phase Four output uh, from the from the MCU. So yeah, uh, Summer, your final thoughts and unwritten. Um, I basically lines up with a lot of what you guys are saying. Um, it, what I wanted a little bit um, to expand on is uh, Tenor Cuerta as Nemo, and I'm calling him Nemo. I'm Oof. sorry. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I thought he elevated a ca- this character wonderfully. Um, he brought me more to life for me, and I was so worried because I wasn't exactly sure what to expect with all the changes that they were making of the character and his world. Yes. But I loved every aspect of it. I thought it was the, the only thing I would complain about is I wish we had a Nemo television show prior to this movie that would have expanded a bit more in the way that. I feel like we've spent so much time with Thanos, but that seems to be the only villain that we've spent time with. Whereas the the others, we have to kind of take them as they are in the movie and then decide what we want to do with them. But he, for me, his, um, his the way he portrayed the character is exactly what I was hoping for from a character like Nemo. My absolute favorite um fight sequence was him attacking Wakanda I love yes. how that kind of humming hummingbird flight thing he would do to move really fast um it worked yeah, considering how it, it really does you know? have a hummingbird kind of movement yeah, yeah. which 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 ties which, which ties back into Mesoamerican culture so well exactly. right you know and, and it, everything in that um for me that aspect of it was very well thought out and I appreciated that um the Black Panther costume, on the other hand, I, the special effects, it made the costume mm. look small. It was too skinny. It had yeah. no muscle structure to it. And Good I get past how big yeah. it in comparison to the body. So it's like, listen, I can't believe this character to take on Nemo and win. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get into that. And the, the final fight sequence on the ship um, it the editing was rough for me. I just I, I just couldn't see exactly what was happening too many times. Mm-hmm. So I however, the funny enough, the earlier fight sequences, like when they attacked the rig, I thought that played so well. It reminded me of Captain America Winter Soldier when they, right. you know that scene on the yes, ship. You're right, so yeah. it, it was funny how uneven that worked out. I know I was really hoping that. The, that aspect of it they would have tightened up on by now. Um, the entire movie being as morose and somber as it is, I, I that worked for me as well. I know, Sissy, yes. as, as you said, there are people that were fidgeting in the quiet moments. Those mm-hmm. quiet moments are what are, were the moments that pulled me in the most. Yeah. 
I feel like, you know, I know there are people out there that be, oh, this movie, the pacing was so uneven. So those slow, moments, it's boring, you know? yeah. yeah. But we needed those moments considering yeah. the, what was happening and, and, and everything that happened in, in, in the real world. So um, the flaws of the movie is the same flaws I had with the first one in that <laughs> I, I love the story. I love the villain. But what is going on with your special effects and why are you yeah. so much with that? And CC, as you pointed out, the only really big stumbling of that handling such two heavy narratives of the yes. whole, these two smaller people, um, not smaller people, sorry, but um, these two nations being put against each other, you know, and the colonizers are the ones benefiting when these things happen. And then, then you have grief. And, yes. you know, it, it just felt that is where I felt it would would stumble as well when they were trying to they did try to tie it all together in the end where Shuri's standing over him with that spare tissue. Yes. And we get that whole montage of they are two very similar people. But it felt a bit like, oh, we have to explain to you what we were doing all this time. Right. So here's this scene that explains it all. We, you know, trust your audience to to understand. And I feel like Marvel really needs to, early Marvel, I felt like there was a sense of freedom that certain directors got. And I'm not seeing that in this later phase, and it scares me. No. Yeah, I'm starting. You know? I, yeah, um, no, definitely. Yeah, because if you trust them to allow, you know, I know everything has to tie in together in some shape or form, but if you do that, you know, the story itself suffers. And I saw that happening here. So with all the flaws and everything, guys, for me, it was a seven and a half to an eight out of 10. I need to see this movie again. Right. I'm yes. really struggling. I, I, I think we all do. Yeah, because it, one viewing is really not enough to sit down and really analyze. What did I like? What didn't I like? Does this really work? Well, or is it me just coming off a high of seeing the movie, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, I, guys, my score, I would stand right now at about seven and a half out of 10 mm -hmm. until I see it again. And then I'll see where that, that, where that lies. Right. Uh, Tracy, um, well, you know, final thoughts and rating, and then we'll close with CC. So Tracy, mm -hmm. go. Uh, first of all, let's just, I want to thank um, November's, October November's superhero movies for bringing me, um, I, wa I want to say the joke about it is like, hilarious things that I know from other things. So Black Adam giving me the rock symbol when um you know you need to summon him. And then Talokan <laughs> and then Talokan hitting me with Hadoukens, you know, you know, with that that whole oh, hand yeah, gesture. Yes, I thought I was the only one to pick up on that. <laughs> I was like, listen, I I'm here for that. I I well I think what you guys were were seeing pretty much in a real sense sums up some of what I feel. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um I know now what times to go and see it so that I don't walk out of the cinema at two o'clock in the morning. But <laughs> you know, that is that is pretty cool for me. I enjoyed the film. I loved the albums, you know, where I stand on soundtracks. Um I feel like like a a, a NECA, I don't know, I I really was expecting them to dive deeper into Aneka and Ayo's relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Funny enough, I really did. Like, 
Disney's but so I, scared to pull that, that trigger. <laughs> listen, listen, China's already telling, saying that they're not going to do it because of, well, like that one kiss on the forehead. They're not going to. I was like, you know what? Screw you. But I. Yeah. I, I really I was expecting to have more of them. And I do agree with you guys in terms of. I thought, uh, yes, Shuri might have been the logical choice, but I thought they might have gone a different way and say, okay, um, Anika is, is 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 a warrior or um, uh, Nakia is a warrior and therefore, but I could understand why Shuri becomes the Black Panther, not just in terms of lineage, you know, it was the father, the brother, and now her, but just like, even the, the 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 conversations that she had with Namor, she would be the, the the logical one to go back and go and fight against him. That kind of thing. There is a line that he says to her after he water bombs the throne throne room. I think he's like, "You are the queen now. Bury your dead and you know, prepare." And right. I guess there's there's yeah. something about that whole scene. Also, I must just throw out how Twitter and and by extension me were kind of chuckling over the idea of. He was 500 years old. She was 20 something. Destroy the world. You know, they have the full chemistry. I, I have that is another. I I was take. Yeah, I was taken aback by their chemistry. I was genuinely like, oh, I didn't know we were doing this. <laughs> like yeah. this. Is... Man, man gave her a bracelet and, and gave her clothes and was like, yeah, what? Wear this. It, be- it belonged to my mother. Oh, okay. Right? Oh, you know? You, <laughs> we're getting some that fan- is a level. That, that is a level. We're getting some fan. As well with um, him and Namora. That, that, um, Thing he does with the Black Panther painting, the Aztec painting. Yes. Love it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Because there's a behind the scenes shot. There's a behind the scenes shot there where you see like a hammock. So it's not just a room that he's there, but it's like, like that's where he rests and that is where he's painting his. Str- I was like, oh boy, okay, boy, we have we have things to do. Still a better love story than Twilight. Um, <laughs> I'm going to. <laughs> I, so. I, I will say this, and then I will give my ratings and, and be silent. Here's the thing. Um, WandaVision, uh, Miss Marvel, Eternals, I still I still do not understand for the life of me why everybody is... Like, I, I watch Eternals up to recently, and I'm like, yeah. this is gold. Um, I, right. I, I watch it over again after Ricardo and I was, like, real iffy about it, and I appreciate it more the second time I see it. So there's hope people will watch it again and like it. Yeah, I, no. I, I do feel a... like it's one of those movies that you're gonna get ten years down the road. You're gonna get a bunch of videos coming out on why Eternals is, is great. Why yep. Eternals is great. You're yeah. gonna see that. Why, no, why? Why we didn't appreciate Eternals? In, like, in, all, in yeah. cinemas, you know. So, so you have those four, those three. What did I just? WandaVision, Miss Marvel, Eternals, and Wakanda Forever. Um, I I have less of a gripe with Phase Four. I feel like for me, and this is I actually did a tweet about it earlier. My thinking is Phase One to Three was we didn't have time to do personal introspection. Phase One to Three is there are missions on missions. It was Loki. It was Ultron for all that it was worth. It was Ultron. It was Thanos. Uh, it's Secretary Pierce and Hydra. It's missions upon missions upon missions. And then at the last mission, everything goes to hell. And now you have to sit down and have your own personal introspection of what's going on. Wanda is in a world where vision doesn't exist. Sam is basically a veteran who comes back after fighting the greatest war and still can't get a loan. Um, you know, stuff like that that you have right. to deal with. So now you have this 
this kind of yes grief yes pain yes personal growth but deep introspection and that for me was what phase four was and I, I have a memory of somebody i think it was friday himself talking about it's like it's the it's the repercussions of what happens after the snap and coming back that is basically phase four so i have less of a gripe with it but those four properties are my top tier phase four um type things i don't know how i feel about um charlie's <laughs> swiping and saying we you have an incursion we have to go I and there's a song that there's that plays in in moon Knight, Syed, Syed, that i used to just walk around and just sing all over the time so i'm here for that um every day i wake up that is... <laughs> listen big tune big tune big tune yeah uh nine out of i'm you know what yeah, that, that, that's where I live. A 9 out of 10. Not because, like, I feel like I want to give it a 10, but that's just not really, you know, like, I, I go back and I think about it. But it is because I think about it. It is because, like I had said earlier on, when I'm in my quiet moments, I'm standing up, I'm in the gym, I'm washing wares or something like that, and I think about the introduction of how Nimor sh showed Shuri, you know, what the kingdom of Talokan looks like. Yeah. I am listen. I that is their Disney princess, prince and princess, and nobody can tell me differently. So for me, it's <laughs> it's a it's a nine out of ten. I am I kind of uh, low key waiting on on some people to give me some of my freelance money so that I can go back and do my things. So I am gonna go back and see it. Um, I'm gonna go back and see Wakanda forever. Um, two times, three times. It's. I know that's going to be a thing. And I maintain, if I was not like, if mom wasn't like, okay, we're going to see. I want to see that movie in December, uh, because the I, I like how you call it that movie. Listen, I, I mean, we can't talk about it like here right now, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, it's not that I have uh, any other. That's another conversation. But if I did, <laughs> that was. If Wakanda Forever was my last cinema thing for 2020, what are we in? 2022? I would not have a problem. Like I said, I know Disenchantment is coming out on the streaming service and then there's Violent Night that will come out Christmas Day on Netflix and all the other stuff that I will see online. Um, Glass Onion, all that kind of stuff because I know the cinemas mm -hmm. are not going to play Glass Onion so I'm not right. even trying. Um... I'm good. I I I'm good. The music, the introduction of 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 Namor, Namor, and even Namora, um, Mabel, Mabel's like her presence on, for the few moments that she was there, it was good. I don't know how I feel about again just that one kiss on the forehead. It reminded me of uh, Rise of Skywalker when like the last ten, like ten, it was not that good. Uh, I, I, do with mean. The <laughs> I was like, mm. come on, you could you could do better than that. You could set up this better. Um, but that's a different story all entirely. And I am a big fan of the curated album as well as the Ludwig album. It's just brilliant. So well done. Well done them. Nine out of ten for me. So CC, final thoughts and written on Wakanda Forever. So I have two uh, as I, I have two thoughts on Wakanda Forever as um, an MCU film, as a, as it's part of the MCU. And as a standalone film, I'm just going to start with standalone film because I've kind of think those points about. I agree with 
all the positives that have been um, discussed today. I think, like, given how complicated and troubled this production was, the fact that they turned out a movie that was so complete and as like as complete and polished as it was, despite its big thematic tensions, is something of a masterwork and a testament to Ryan Coogler's absolute genius as a filmmaker. Um, it succeeds on so many levels. Um, I really like its continuing to reauthor lost race fantasy fiction to be about uh, to be about the lost races in general and to be a, and like as ways to imagine cultures like to imagine cultures that were destroyed by colonialism if they had not been like as, as like cool little what ifs it's really interesting and i really think that ryan coogler pulls off a lot of the movie's big dramatic sequences really well because that's always been one of his strong suits so overall no my thoughts i'm agreeing with all the positives of this film um it's still work uh, it's it, there's so much about it that i love specifically and also stuff that's just works in general um and then overall that rating is solid nine out of ten uh, maybe like maybe eight that's for some of the weaker sequences but honestly like nine because the stuff that doesn't work doesn't impact me as much as like the stuff that does work my only thing is the way i feel about this movie as it is part of the mcu and as and as someone who's been an mcu fan for a long time which is i am concerned that the best mcu films of this phase have been the and the most like the best mcu projects have been the most self-contained because it it feels it's not i'm a it, i'm a little concerned that the ones that don't quite feel like they're part of the MCU are the ones that feel the strongest. Like, I could be wrong. Like, I mean, maybe I'll finally get around to Spider-Man Far From Home and actually, like, or No Way Home and, like, actually be like, oh, this is actually really good. Um, maybe I'll rewatch Black Widow and I'll like it better this time around. Uh, still need to rewatch Love and Thunder at some point after that, how disappointing that was. Um, but it's it's been it's been kind of frustrating that some of the best MC and then even on MCU films that I did really like, like Eternals and Dr. Strange Two, both of those films, the weakest parts of them were the parts that connected to the rest of the MCU. And that I found also find also deeply frustrating, especially given the, like some of the filmmakers that have been announced up and coming or the fact that they've lost the blade director. That's not a good yeah, sign. Stuff kind of worry, you know, Stuff is starting to get a little worrying. Like stuff, stuff, stuff is getting a little worrying. I'm not. I'm hoping that they that they remember that like letting their their filmmakers do their thing is what's best because it's it's starting to highlight how weak some of the other stuff is and other potential complications down the road at this point. But because like this movie is really good, but like the thing about it that concerns me is that it's reminding me how much weaker some of the more connected stuff is and yeah. how I saw a movie with fewer MCU connections. And my thought was, Oh, I'm refreshed, which I was like, Oh wait, that's not necessarily like, I shouldn't feel that way at, at, at not seeing these, this film move more connected. It reminds me of watching Eternals where anytime the movie reminded us it was part of the MCU, I was like, Oh, I'm I'm a little I'm a little dis like for some reason I was a little disappointed yeah. like I'm I'm starting there are cracks and I'm hoping that Marvel does something to like course correct or figure out 
something because I want more. I want more Black Panther and less Thor: Love and Thunder. Is what I'm saying. Right. Right. Yeah, my uh, just a quick counterpoint to that. Not not really yeah. a, a response, uh, a refutation or anything like that. But mm-hmm. just um, I just I just feel like they could have connected the stuff better. I have no problem with connected, but just when they show the yeah. connections, it's, it's the clumsiest, laziest connection. They are. And I was like, you know, you could think this out a little better, right? And I don't know what what happened again. You know, COVID, right? COVID is the is the thing that just kind of hang it above the head. But I don't know. Right. It just I just well, feel I, like you well, could have I, think out these ideas better. Yeah. In terms well, of I connecting them, that, I don't mind you connect I, them. Just think them out a little better. Well, I th- I thought that COVID would mean that the films would be better because they would force them to spend longer in post. But it sounds that that was like like I thought because you, every... you learn unfortunately the weaknesses of of the production you know yes um, flow like, and nature and and you know well like every Marvel movie I have seen even the ones I liked could have used another year in development right like whether it was another whether it was like half that time shooting or half that time in like pre production. Every Marvel project I've seen, even, except for maybe Moon Knight and Werewolf by Night right. and like some of the other ones, almost everything could have used a little longer to cook. And that's the fact that that is becoming consistently noticeable is a problem. You're right. And last but not least, Malcolm X Man. This is the, I would say, you know, um, the, the the true magnum opus of you know the the legendary filmmaker um, Spike Lee man you know yeah. this is like the second Spike Lee joint that I'll be talk- that I've, I've, I've talked I'll be talking about I should say on this program here right because you know um, two years ago we we talked about um, do the right thing right yeah. and you know I, I I specifically remember saying that I needed to rewatch Malcolm X in terms of making you know of of just smallest you know, stating the obvious, which film is the better of the two, right? And, I mean, we all know what the answer is. It's this film, right? Yeah. Um, and this film is actually going to be turning 30 this month, right? And it's mm-hmm. actually going to be released through the Criterion Collection. Um, they have this this 4K re-release that's... Uh, this, this this 4K edition that they're going to be putting out um, in a couple of week, uh, weeks, I believe it is. And, I'm still uh, mad. I'm, I'm still mad that we're not... Get, that we're just getting... It, look, it looks like right now that we're just getting the 4K, not the... I blame Warner Brothers, but I really was hoping that we would also get like a Criterion DVD or even like a Criterion Blu-ray as well. But it looks like we're just getting the 4K and maybe a Blu-ray, which. Eh. Yeah. No. Well, I, I I I always assume when it comes to those releases, where it's just you know the the um, the 4K and the Blu-ray, at least there's a DVD option. But I I, I could be wrong. I, I really should look it up and see, right? It hasn't. Yeah, it was. Um, it wasn't that way for Citizen Kane. Oh, right, right, right. I remember that was the first release with that, right? Yeah. Yep. And I think part um, of the problem is rights issues, because Warner Brothers, which is ironic, and you're, you're, you'll probably get into this, like, when you think about how much grief Warner Brothers gave Spike Lee about making this movie, it's ironic that they're the ones that, through their, you know, copyright and legal bullshit, are probably the ones holding up the fact, uh, holding up, you know, Criterion being able to put this out on DVD yeah. as and well it, as it, it, Especially, especially egregious with, with who in charge right now, right? So. Yes. Oof. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, for me, right, you know, because this is a retrospect review after all, right? Um, I, I knew when this film came out, right? It, I knew it was in theaters. Um, I didn't see it in theaters, actually. I would have to wait a few years before it came out. A little station called CCN TV6, right? I, okay. I, I saw it there for the first time. Um, and then when I got cable, I watched it over on, on BT, <laughs> right, of all stations, right? Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's over the years that I really grew to appreciate the film, right? 
But um, for me, honestly, the last time I watched this film was literally like some years ago uh, during film during film school, right? Because uh, one of the courses I had uh, where we explored certain directors, um, you know, shout out to Dr. Chris Mayer. I mean, you know, he, oh, he, knows, he knows us, right? He knows the three of us, right? As in you yes. know, me, Ricardo and, and Cece, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he had a he had like a spikely week, if you will. So oh, wow. he ran Malcolm X and he also ran um, When the Levies Broke, right? Which was a really solid documentary, right? I, wow. I, I need to recap it. Though. I haven't seen it in a long while, right? But yeah, that was literally the last time that I saw Malcolm X, right? That was years ago, right? Wow. Uh, but it still stood out to me. Over the years, it still stood out to me, right? Um, and just looking at it again now, uh, what, what really amazed me, right, is that when it comes to filmmakers, when it comes to Hollywood filmmakers, right, especially those who... You know, had to had to build your resume over the years, right? You would think something like like Malcolm X, right? Um, which I believe is Spike Lee's um, sixth film, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, let me just see one, two. I think it might yeah, be. Yeah, it's his sixth feature film. Wow, a sixth filmer, and the first and only film that he will make with Warner Brothers because. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> because I mean, he made look it. it up online. I mean, <laughs> the film went over budget. Um, and well, well actually, more, okay. more notoriously, during post production, um, yeah, they ran out of money. So, um, Spike Lee literally had to call all of his friends, like, you know, yo, Bill Cosby, yo, Magic, yeah. yo, Jordan, yeah. like, literally call right. them. Right. Well, yeah, I think help, for out, me... help my brother out. And yeah, they came through and financed well, the um, well, money film to finish up the film. I feel like for me, what's so, what's so bloody egregious is that, like, it's so easy to go over budget when you weren't given a budget in the first place. Like yep. Malcolm X. Thank like you, the, because because well, sorry to cut you, because yeah, because one, one show that that Spike Lee um, cited is that yo, well they make a film the year before GFK, Oliver Stone ran for like three hours, right? So yeah, give me that amount of money, but they're like, eh, what are you no, reasons they're like give you a budget, so it's like, right, well we have to use it. We actually finished the film, cool, but. We, we still need to work on post, bro. So where the money in that? They, you like, uh, like you nope. read, I need, I need, I need to read his full book by any means necessary because I know that like the production was really difficult. The production was really, like the studio. I mean, I was surprised. I, I was genuinely surprised that the film was like in development at all because like he mentioned that like he heard it was in development and I think it was like what Sidney Lumet was originally supposed to direct. No, um, and Norman, Norman, Norman Jewison. Norman Lear, yeah, the guy who no, did... No, no, Jewison, Jewison. Yeah, um, Jewison, sorry. Norman yeah. Jewison, the guy who did Fiddler on the Roof, was originally supposed to direct Malcolm X. And it was... And I know Spike Lee was like, I want to do this. And Jewison was like, okay, yeah, actually, you would do much better with this than me. And then the studio decided that they weren't confident in it anymore. <laughs> Which is like... like I feel like that's the most... So, like, that's one of the reasons... One of those cases where it's a phenomenal movie in spite of its production, honestly, given how this, this is, this is a project that the studio wanted to kneecap from day one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's a couple of things, couple before we get to Ricardo's history in the film, right? So, um, a middle error here, this is actually the third Spike Lee joint, um, I'm talking what? about okay. here on the show, because we talked about the five bloods and it's so funny that you, oh yeah, so yeah, I've been I mean, here for every single ago, one. Right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, when it's it comes like, to Spike like Lee joints, you're you're always there, CC. I mean, it's like it's like, it's like a bat signal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, man. Um, but yeah, uh... but back to the whole career thing, right? So you would think, see, uh, a perfect example. Um, uh, Spielberg, right? He, you know, he right. started off in the in the mid seventies, right? You know, and you would right. think, like, like, look how long it took for him. It almost took him two decades to put out um, Schindler's List, right? Which is right. his magnum opus, right? which is his passion project, something that is near and dear to his heart, right? But it took him mm. close to 20 years for him to have enough clout to say, 
yeah, I'm just going to make a three-hour-plus black-and-white epic film about the Holocaust, and mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do. And drop it in the same year as Jurassic Park, right? So look at that, right? But with right. Spike Lee, he's like, no, this is my sixth my six joint. I'm going to put this out. But I think the real reason behind it, too, is not not just so much about um, Norman Jewison, um, you know, being signed on to, to make the film, right? But because of the of the social, the socioeconomic climate in, in America in the 90s, right? Um, yeah, right? Especially in the late 80s to early 90s with, you know, more Afrocentric, you know, um, films and books and music, right? Especially with rap music, right? You know, a lot of, um, a lot of groups like, say, De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, um, their earlier work incorporated more Afrocentric stuff into it, right? Um, so you would, yeah. So there was this, 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 this kind of, um, I don't know, this, this revival basically of, of right. just um, African culture, right, in the United States now. Uh, but at the same time, too, I mean, you know, this is right, right after the Reagan era, and you just saw the the, yeah. the side effects of that in the in, right. the, in the ghetto and in, in the urban communities, right. So and and well, I should bring up too, um, you know, uh, also what happened with. Um, with uh, the, the the late great um, oh gosh I forget the names though um, Rodney King right um, okay. who he actually brings up in the beginning of this and and funny enough right I actually read this I actually saw this in the behind the scenes while they were doing post production um, well sorry when they when they were showing a rough draft rough cut to the film sorry in Warner Brothers um, you know the the, the Rodney King uh, riots had started like the same oh. day it started yeah that's how real this shit was Ooh. that's how real this was right yeah. So you could you could understand why Warner Bros. like, geez, but I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if you should put this out, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the political climate was just at a fever rate, you know, you know what I mean? So that's how important this film was. Well, right? this is why I was saying that it, I was always surprised that they even were going forward with this film in the first place, because Malcolm X has always been an uncomfortable subject for the white establishment in America. So the like he's not a figure you can redeem like or like tone down like Martin Luther King. He's a lot more He's always been a lot more provocative. So right. the idea that they ever had this film in development was shocking. And so much less – so, like, I was not surprised that, like, in production they start going, you know, maybe this isn't the time to, like, put this out there. Maybe put this out. Yeah. a little, little too angry. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. But, you know, still – but just, just in closing, right, it's just amazing that, you know, just, just to get them a summary of it, right? Yeah. Not even ten years into your career, Dred, into your trajectory wow. as a filmmaker, and you drop what is easily your 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 magnum opus. You just say, "To hell with waiting ten, fifteen years until I fully establish it. I'm gonna drop this right now. I'm gonna make this yeah. right now. I'm gonna put my energy into this, Dred. I I have five films under my belt, right? And I'm gonna do this. And yeah, I mean, the rest is history, right? So yeah, uh, Ricardo, your um your your history with the film. Right, so yeah, this, this, this um, okay, so the, the, my actual issue is pretty strange where I remember going to the video store and wanted to get it, and it didn't have it in VHS, it had it only in Betamax, which we didn't have, but my <laughs> friend had a Betamax, so we borrowed it anyway, and I, I, I borrowed his Betamax for the night, uh, well, my dad did, and uh, we got that. Uh, that is pretty much it. Um, that's how I saw this film for the first time. Wow. I... Uh, Spike Lee is one of those interesting figures because he's not old enough to be New Hollywood. Um, but he wasn't young enough to be part of the New, new Renaissance. Right? I mm-hmm. would argue that. Yeah, and definitely. Yeah, he was, he was of the 90s now. Like, he was just this weird null point in between as a filmmaker, and especially as a black filmmaker. And then the only other person at, at, around his time that was, like, 
you could argue in that same space was probably like Robert Townsend, maybe. Mm. Um, yeah. It's, it's one of, right. Yeah, it's, yeah. He's one of those right, where it's like, okay, what are we gonna do in that sense of making a, a this this interesting new voice that a little on the angry end, let's admit that, but he makes yep. it work and, and he was a necessary voice in that time. You know, I, I still really love um school days. I still really love um you know stuff like um well, it was uh, do the right thing, of course. Uh, yes. And yeah, I, I thoroughly loved, you know, just what he did as a filmmaker. And then, yeah, this, I have no problem calling this his Magna Moses. It is a really good movie. Um, it it comes together so well, then the watch on holds it. It it plays the balance of, of the negativity of the conceit of, um, you know, what Malcolm X in his early career was, as opposed to what he was in his latter career. And then, you know, the big part of that was, I would argue, one of the more controversial parts, he, he clashed with him and uh, the head of the Nation of Islam, I forget his name again. Like, you know. Yes, um, Elijah oh, Muhammad. No, Elijah, Elijah Muhammad, Muhammad, right. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, that, well, it was, you know, the sex, sex, the sex scandal stuff, right? And all yes. of that, that aspect of it that he, yeah, he didn't, wasn't having none of that at the time. He, this was back then, you know, we not, we, we knocking people now and, and, oh, it have a Me Too movement and outrage over that. Like, no, people are always outrage over that stuff. Um, and it, the film just comes together so, so well um, in the conceit of it and, and what he was as a figure. And it's passionate, vulnerable, uh, interesting. It, it, of course, it does the Dolly Slide thing, which is awesome. Always awesome. Of course. Uh, it comes at just the right time. Perfect which I'll time. Get to yeah, do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, it comes together in terms of like who the guest stars were. I forget that, that um, Delroy Lindo was in this. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, right. Uh, because I, I watched it a couple of days ago. Though. I was like, oh, yeah, right. There's a Delroy Lindo was in this. Uh, uh well you know we just talk about black panther um angela bassett right she was greeted mm-hmm. as, as oh yeah uh it was just uh a, just a really really truly a great project and uh, you know for the product it's time is truly fantastic and i i it have very little a little to no problems i have with it it's just a, just a kind of a masterpiece like just period yeah it really is yeah it is it is yeah so 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 cc take it away your your history with with malcolm x film Oh, so, as I kind of mentioned in previous, I mean, it's interesting because I've I've been on every episode you guys have talked about Spike Lee, and actually, if, if attentive viewers will hear that my journey with Spike Lee has kind of, like, I've gone on a journey with Spike Lee, like, over the years, because I kind of, I really started, um, I think, yeah, so talking about great timing, talk about, talk about great timing for a moment, um, I watched Malcolm X in the summer of 2020. <laughs> nice. What well, was it before or after we talked about do the writing? I, I think it was, before, I right? think it was, I think it was either a little before or just a little after because, um, what happened was I, um, my mother actually had loaned me her copy of the book, the autobiography of Malcolm X to read. And, and I had been kind of reading that while I was out in LA doing film related stuff. And then, um, after that, uh, COVID happened, I came back to Goshen and then like all, I mean, went back to where I was living at the time and then like uh, uh, finished the book and then the film was on Netflix at the time so I watched it on Netflix and to this day, it is still my favorite Spike Lee movie. I haven't had, because it is such, because it, it is such an epic it's difficult to casually rewatch I haven't had the chance since then but it's a film that like anytime Spike Lee is talking about it, I go check it out I, there are certain sequences I love rewatching. I own the soundtrack on CD. I am an anachronist. Nice. I am an anachronistic okay. soul. Uh, Put yourself on the back, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's, it's and it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, I 
I was listening, I was reading another interview that uh, Spike Lee was giving about the film. He was talking about how a huge, how, um, when one of the things about the budget that got was a problem was he wanted to go and film, like he wanted to actually go to the Middle East to film the, to film the like, 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 um, the pilgrimage. The Mecca scene, the Mecca scene. The Mecca scene, yeah, he actually, actually filmed in Mecca. And the studio was like, are you sure we can't? There's this great lonely beach in New Jersey. Are you sure you can't yes, film there? I and it was like, true. oh my God. <laughs> because he was like, because Lee made it clear, and you can see this in the film, but like he wanted to do, he didn't just want to like adapt. He didn't just want to adapt the story of Malcolm X. He wanted to turn this into a true historic epic, and he directly compared it to the works of David Lean. So like Lawrence of Arabia, Passage yeah, to that, India. That whole pilgrimage like, scene is a pure, is, is a straight up tribute to, to Lawrence of Arabia. Straight up, straight right. up, like like the whole thing, and you feel that, like the way it's shot. It's a, it's it's so wild because as a Spike Lee film, it balances these epic ambitions and this huge sense of scope, but with this raw intimate personal quality right um like 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 you really do get to understand malcolm i mean first of all that also denzel washington's performance the fact he didn't he didn't win i i I know he didn't win an oscar for that because there is no justice in this world there is no there is no uh, justice and and sense of righteousness in this world because denzel washington well well, as you bring up that right um yeah Fun fact, right? So you know, t- you know, when every time you think about Malcolm X, you think that this show was nominated for a ton of Oscars, right? You only got nominated for two: best actor, I and best designer. No. That's the only two. Now, I right, was like, like, like I, I, I love Unforgiven, right? I love it, right? And that in itself, you know, deconstructed Western and also touch out on race too as well, right? Great, great film, right? But, but admittedly, <laughs> admittedly, let's be real, man. Malcolm X should have won over that movie. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no I, like, Eastwood, right? I no. appreciate, um, I appreciate Unforgiven a lot, but there is no movie that came out the same year as Malcolm X that should have won the Oscar for Best Picture, especially since, like, the Academy normally loves historical epics and, like, performances as people as, like, important, like, leading historic figures and that kind of thing. Like, there is no reason this shouldn't have won the Oscar for Best Picture. Like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Especially since, like, Denzel Washington really does establish himself as, like, something of, like, a dramatic powerhouse in that movie with Spike Lee's direction. But it also has a sense of humor. I was I was surprised. Like, finally watching the movie after reading the book, I was surprised at, at at its sense of humor, like the scene where they get sentenced to um, they get sentenced and the guy passes out because he doesn't understand right, right, what consecutive uh, what, what consecutive he was getting sentenced for yeah. for a whole um, century actually. You know? <laughs> like there's these little moments of humor. It's wild to see. So it's it is a historical epic, but it's a historic epic Spike Lee's way. So there's still humor. The soundtrack is delightful because it's like very contemporary music with like older music and like. Um, Terrence, Terrence Blanchard is the score again, and yes, yes. I someday I will someday I will geek out about Terrence Blanchard, and then we can go for several hours. <laughs> I, but, I, yes. I, I want to be there for it, though. I, I love this. Oh I love my this god, he's fantastic! Yeah. But yeah, no, like like one of my like favorite movies of all time. When I was working on my thesis project, uh, when I graduated, when I was working on my thesis project to graduate for, with my master's degree. I was working on a historic film and like, and like Malcolm X was one of the big inspirations because I was, I was working on a similar project of like a, a screenplay for like a historic biographical film, but like one that wasn't like 
a more cliche example, and not only in the writing of it, but in my um, artist statement, I brought up um, Malcolm X as an example of like how to do a historical epic that's not only still personal, but also doesn't conform to a traditional linear structure as well, right? So like, you know, I have nothing, nothing but love for Malcolm X, nothing but love for Malcolm X. All right, so I I I've got some notes. I've got some notes, so you know, just a lot of stuff to to, to cover, right? Because I mean, this is like a, a trio one twenty plus uh, twenty minute film, right? So I'm not gonna go detail by you know you know shot for shot or whatever with what happened, right? But I'm just gonna write um just more or less mention the the notes that I wrote down, right? So I always love the intro for this film, Dre, where you see this American flag, and you know it's very reminiscent of a actually a really brilliant um, biopic by the name of Patton, right? A Best yeah. Picture winner, right? From 1970, right? Um, everything about this opening sequence is gripping. Um, Terence Blanchard's score for this is so poignant and it works, so it's, it gives you chills. And then you're hearing Denzel, you know, speaking as Malcolm X, right? And he starts, he actually starts the film off by saying, you know, it's the famous speech, you know, I charge a white man with being the greatest murderer on earth. I charge a white man with being the greatest kidnapper on earth and so on, right? And I love how Spike Lee adds footage from the, the Rodney King arrest back in 91, right? Um, and this is something I always love about Spike, where, like, even even with a period piece like this, he would somehow make kind of contemporary at the time, but not act as if, oh, well, you know, 10 years from now, people aren't going to care. It's like, no, this was a big deal, right? So case in point, we do the writing where, you know, during the, um, you know, pre-riot, this is more where, you know, the, the rioters were saying, how it beach, how it beach, right? Um, and that's related to something that took place, I believe, it's two years before Duty Writing even came out, right? Um, so even in a period piece like Malcolm X, right, he's going to remind you how serious racism is, how, how serious violence towards black people was, right? And, and will always be in America, right? I just love how he keeps cutting back from the American flag to the running kick footage, right? Um, and, you know, why, why did the scene credits and whatnot? Uh, Ruth Carter, you know what I mean, as a, you know, um, was nominated for Best Costume Design, right? And she was actually the first African-American to win in that category, thanks to the first Black Panther movie, right? Look at that, right? And the scene, this scene, this sequence, I should say, ends on such a chilling moment where the American flag burns now and leaves behind this, this X-shaped cutout, right? For me, that is how you open a movie. That is how you open a movie, Dredd. Um, Ricardo, any, any thoughts on this? Open? Oh no, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, solid, solid business. Um, all things, uh, nothing really to talk about there. It's like, yeah, there's a, like, yep, we know what the movie's called. Okay, <laughs> like, uh, thank you. Um, no, yeah, this is this is a real good opening sequence. It's brilliant. It's really well done. Um, I can't be mad at any of this. It's like, yeah, they make it work for it. Yeah, uh, CC, any thoughts on on this opening sequence? I, I. I, one of the things I love about Spike Lee stylistically, one of my one of my professors, um, published author um, Todd Berliner, said in one of my classes in grad school was Spike Lee will it doesn't matter if the movie ends up being good, his goal will always be to make it interesting, right? Right. And I feel like one of the things I really appreciate about Malcolm X in particular is that, and actually all of his historical films, mo- historical films are often accused of like trying to be apolitical by like, oh, this is what happened in the past. That doesn't happen anymore, right? Like, it's not connected to now because it happened so long ago when we were backward. Lee has never made a historic film that doesn't viciously remind you of the ways in which, because he's always interested in subjects that still have contemporary relevance. And so he's always will remind you of that. I feel like even if like, 
like if Spike Lee made a movie about ancient Greece, it would still have like footage footage of like it would, it would still incorporate footage of like a contemporary issue or a riot or like something like that. Like and I like guess opening credit sequences are always so stark and interesting. Like they're always like I always think about the like like the the bit from Black Klansman where it's like the footage from Gone with the Wind and then like the KKK and then like Alec Baldwin is like the leader of the KKK filming that video. Uh, like they're dynamic, they're brilliantly edited. The, the like like the like the, the the imagery is intentionally like aggressively like like provocative and like intense. This and and of course Blanchard's music just like ties ties it all together. Like it it works it works in so many different ways. Like yes, this is a historic film that owes a lot to like the for, the formal prestige of historical films. But it's still got Spike Lee's confrontational style to it. And, yeah, the, the little homage to Patton is also brilliant, given that Patton is another biographical film that actually does a pretty good job of, like, not being a, like, like not being an uninteresting film or whatever. Like, it does a pretty good job of, like, um, presenting a kind of abrasive subject in an abrasive style as well. Like, it works really well. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, so Spike Lee's in this movie, right? You know, he plays Shorty, <laughs> right? Um, and honestly, I don't even blame him to be in this, right? Because this is your passion project, right? I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, why not, right? Like, why not, right? I mean, he was in She's Gotta Have It, More Better Blues, Do The Writing, and Jungle Fever, right? So why not, right? Um, but I just love the opening sequence, right? Which, well, you know, the first sequence that we see. And, you know, I didn't even know till like, after the fact that this was actually a long take here, right? Um, you know, a crane shot and whatnot, right? But I just love, just in particular, when he's crossing the street after he gets his shoe shine. And, you know, he just has his player, like, bop, see, just kind of moving, like, uh, 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 something about that that always stands out to me. And then even better now, when, when Denzel comes out, now he's walking along. Uh, walking back um, them, across them the street, suits, and eh? do that same bop too. I love that. Those goddamn zoot suits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, this is moments like that. You remember why Ruth Carter won for production, like was nominated for costume design, and why is she such a good costume designer? Because like her style is so adaptable. Like she's able to pull off like well, like 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 she's able to pull off all the different design. Like yeah, she pulls off like the zoot suits, and then she like later pulls off like the robes for during the pilgrimage and then also like the more casual wear and everything like her work is so good like those suits like especially the way they're described in the book like they they pop so much on screen <laughs> agreed agreed um i i always find it so ironic that malcolm the character of malcolm is introduced in a barbershop right uh because yeah pretty much it, it sets up you know him you know always um you know always straightening his hair right so yep. there's this great bit yep. involving um short you know who's like making this mix he puts red devil lie some white hair cream some potatoes i think it's potatoes he's cutting up a raw egg and water and then they mix it up and put it in his hair to straighten his hair right i just love there's a, there's a shot where after you know the, the the concoction literally burns his head right he looks in the mirror, he smiles and said, looks white, don't it? I love that. I love that, right? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And, even, like, and also, attention to detail, right? I love that, you know, even Spike and all, well, Spike, the director, actually incorporated the fact that Malcolm had this kind of slightly reddish-brown hair. I like that. Yeah. Like, you know, because it was mentioned in the book. I believe he got it from yeah. his mother, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, it's very, yeah, it's very important in the book, yeah. Right. And, and speaking of mom now, um, we actually get a powerful montage um, detailing Malcolm's parents, right? And, you Damn. know, it took about a hot minute to realize that the mother actually is played by Lynette McKee, who actually played 
was his type's wife in Jungle Fever, right? She was right, the, right, like, right. Oh, that was the right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And remember, if remember that film was all about oh, well, this black man suddenly um, cheated behind his wife with this Italian American woman, right? And you see right. all these shenanigans that take place, right? Um, but I just love how this montage more or less sums up, you know, like um, basically what the first chapter of the of the autobiography is, right? Whereas like you saw while he was born, the struggles that he and his family endured. Um, but I wouldn't lie though, even though I haven't read the full the entirety of the book though, and uh, I I know that Denzel's voiceover narration is literally word for word lifted from that novel. I know that right for sure. Um, speaking of school days, as you mentioned, Ricardo, um, Spike Lee even incorporates some of his musical film knowledge um, into this as well, right? right? With the jazz club dance sequence, right? Um, that 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 sequence is is, is just so. Just so enthusiastic, though, just so vibrant, I should say, right? I just love it, right? Be, you know, because it's swing music and all that kind of stuff, but just yeah. the coordination, the choreography with, with just a bunch of extras dancing, right? And speaking of jazz club, though, uh, <laughs> I just love the fact that Malcolm, right, is legit dancing with Teresa Randall, right? I, I didn't watch right, 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 right. Teresa Randall. Yeah, oh. yeah. And then yet a white woman steps in, and I know uh, and I, another nice body. Yes, Kate Vernon, right? You know, from, from Battlestar Galactica, right? Um, right. And she's oh, the wow. only white woman in this club, eh? And <laughs> Malcolm just fall head over heels, and yeah, they, they just start this relationship, right? But there's an excellent, excellent, excellent piece of blocking, right? Where the camera follows Malcolm and and the white woman, Sophia, that's her name, right? In a dolly shot, right? So. And they head over to the dance floor. And like a short distance away, you're seeing Teresa's character following them, right? Staying specifically at Malcolm, and you could tell that she is in disbelief now. They use yeah. some depth of field, but you could see her moving yeah. within the crowd and then stopping at a particular point. I'm like, this this is brilliant, and I love this. I, I love this, right? Know. I love this. Yeah. Um, there's a smart bit of writing that follows afterwards, right? There's this light-hearted scene where Shorty and Red are playing cops and rubbers. They play shooting at each other at this park, right? But the dark irony about the scene is that it foreshadows uh, Malcolm's assassination, right? But not yeah. in the hands of a white man, but from a black man, right? Um, the final fake shot that, that Shorty gives him is punctuated by this. Like, we actually hear a gunshot, like a real gunshot sound effect, right? Mm-hmm. And even more effective is how it cuts immediately to Malcolm's father um, at this, uh, where this way? At this train track, I believe it is, where he got killed, now, where he was murdered, basically, when Malcolm was a kid, right? Yeah. Um, Spike even incorporates a little repeat shot moment, uh, similar to like what he did to do the right thing, where Mookie and Rosie Perez's character meet at a place and then they, they kiss. But um, I think it's the same shot shown twice, or is probably two takes or something like that. I'm not too sure, right? Hmm. And this is where uh, Malcolm was working at the train, this this train because you know he didn't want to get drafted into the war, right? And he sees this white sealer, you know the white sealer and shit, right? I was like, oh yeah, here's your ham and cheese, and like he he matches him himself. Smacking the white she, um, sealer you now with the with the sandwich over his face, I see it twice like pop pop, but then it just cuts back to realize uh, reality. He's like, here, sir, here's here's your sandwich, sir. I know, uh, you know, just just that that moment though, I actually love that. You know, it's it's spikely just incorporated some of his isms, if you will, into this um into this film. I really love that, right? So speaking of um Delroy Lindo, yes, he is in this film. He plays. West Indian Archie, right, who Malcolm has this chance encounter with in Harlem, right, and eventually joins this numbers racket, right? There's a great moment where Malcolm is at church, right, and I love how it mirrors his, um, his own father, who is a preacher, right? 
but he's there on business, right? So the guy behind him says three two three immediately after the pastor says John three verse twenty three. I was like, would I love it? I love it, right? Um, Malcolm is introduced to, to white powder. Yeah, he, he got a little, little taste of the cocaine after a while, right? Thanks to thanks to Archie, right? And when Malcolm gets off on his first lift, he does the whole cups and rubbers thing again, right? But with Archie, right? But the game ends now where Archie fires his final shot. He hear that gunshot sound effect again, right? There's a moment where Malcolm kind of stares at him for a few seconds with this, like, glazed, almost lifeless look in his eyes now. So, foreshadowing once again, right? I love that, right? Um, I will confess, early on in the first act of the film, the nonlinear narrative is something the other adjusts to, right? So, um, where you will see Malcolm's life and whatnot, but then it will just kind of cut back to the past involving him and his family, right? So, there's a moment where... Right after he escapes um, Archie's and his two henchmen, right? Because, yeah, of course, Malcolm kind of, you know, do some shit and, you know, Archie want to kill him, right? Uh, we, we, we see one of the film's most memorable moments now where, um, where Malcolm's dad now, um, in flashback, chases away a group of clansmen after they burn his home, right? And fun fact, uh, Malcolm was actually the baby in that scene because when right. the scene begins now, you just see this, this crib. Right, right here. Uh, it's one of those blinking and missing moments, but yeah, that is Malcolm. So in the book, he says he didn't. He well, he was he was he was a he was a baby when it happened, but he found out after the fact. Right, there's a dark but pretty hilarious callback to the hair straightener scene um, later on. Now, where all right, so I have to talk about the house robbery scene. Right, so eventually, um, you know, because of the 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 shit with um, with Archie now, um, Malcolm goes back to 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 Boston. Right. And he hooks up with, with Shorty again, right? And um, Shorty has a white woman, which is which is funny too, right? So there's he said, all right, we we just going to, to to rob houses now, right? We're gonna rob rich white folk, right? And there's a moment where <laughs> see Malcolm and Shorty like try, well Malcolm specifically trying to pull this watch out of this guy's hand. No, sorry, not a watch, sorry, a, a ring out of out of this guy's finger, right? Literally while he's sleeping, right? And the wife is sleeping right next to him, and you just there thinking, nah, he's not gonna get that ring, and he actually gets the ring and like leaves and like wow oh shit okay that, that was that was real funny to me right but anyway day afterwards now shorty is straightening malcolm's hair but the moment it starts to burn they realize there's no water and the only place that has water unfortunately is the toilet bowl <laughs> and i love that you know malcolm is like dust his hair with the toilet bowl water and then the cops show up right in the doorway and shorty's already happy and they say um you know the jig is up right so so i love that moment right so now to get to that moment that you say um your 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 phone was pretty hilarious, CC where yeah they they caught now um well the Sophie and the other girl they get two years in this woman's re- reformatory right but Shorty and Malcolm get um they actually get a minimum of of, of ten years right but because the, the the um the the judge pretty much just calling all these counts I believe it's fourteen counts of eight to ten years that he gives the yeah Shorty actually take is over. You know, a whole century they had to be in jail and he feeds. I love that. That, that, that was pretty funny, right? But yeah, pretty much um, Shorty and Malcolm, um, they have to serve 10 years hard labor or less at the Charlestown um, State Prison, right? So again, with great writing now, there's a sequence involving uh, Malcolm being told to state his number while he's in prison, right? And he refuses and he's thrown in solitary, right? And periodically they always open up the, the little slate and they ask him, you know, um, all right, what's your number? And, you know, he kind of just refuses and they leave him in, right? But I don't know, I could be wrong with this, but I find it, I, I saw it as sort of foreshadowing too, you know, with, um, with Malcolm's conversion to Islam, right? Where he kind of yeah. has to reject that white surname of Little, right? And use X instead. So it's like, yeah, you yeah, can exactly. a, you know, white, white prison guard or whatever, mm-hmm. but that is not, that's not my name. So I'm not going to tell you because it's not my name, you know what I mean? So he keeps rejecting right. that. 
I love that. I I love uh, this is those little bits of detail in this film that I love, right? Well, like one of the things I really love about that whole string of events, but but specifically the um, like specifically the you know trying to get his hair straightened, then the, but then the only water is in the toilet, and then that's the, that's when they get arrested. It's kind of this brilliant formative moment, kind of like it's this brilliant, like it's this moment, like it's one of those moments that like if you were a writer you would do that but like it's weird that it like happened in real life because yeah in the book in particular malcolm make like malcolm x makes it clear that this was the moment where he was like kind of realized that his life up until this point had been pretty useless like up like like he kind of like what am i like kind of the the what am i doing moment Mm -hmm. because like he's he's there going to all this especially the hair straightening like he talked about how like he went to all this trouble and all this like personal because like you know it literally burns like all this effort to like straighten his hair and like trying to like, oh look at me and then like realize that like what am i doing this is like why am i so ashamed of my and it goes back this, to this like is being beneath a, me. this, is, this beneath is beneath me why am i so ashamed of my blackness that i want white hair and that like i will even literally burn my scalp and destroy my hair to get white hair like why am i why am i doing this especially when like he then has to like um like it, and then like has to rinse it off in the toilet because like there's nothing else he could possibly do. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a low point, but I love how the show plays it for laughs as well too, right? So let's talk about Albert Hall for a bit, man. Um, he plays Beans. He's the guy who pretty much the convict, sorry, who it, who eventually converts Malcolm to Islam, right? Um, the moment he confronts Malcolm and calls him out on the fact that he's you know he's going out of his way to look white, right? Only for the white man to laugh at him, right? Um, and you know he's pointing out know, the the hair straightener, right? Um, is so intense and it's powerful at the same time. It, it, it's actually kind of transcendent at the same time, right? Um, but just, I mean, yeah, he is one of the best, you know, performers in this film, right? But just that particular moment where he's talking down to Malcolm while he's at the shower, right? Um, is brilliant, though. Like, I just love that moment. It's just especially the intensity of that scene in particular, right? Of course, Malcolm thinks that, you know, Beans, you know, is, is a con man, right? But then he realized, no, it's it's actually not a con, right? You know, he, he Wallace tried to recondition his mind, right? After the false messages that the white man pretty much had black people believe from the beginning, right? Um, And then we get, like, one of the most memorable moments in the film, right? Where Beans goes, where, where they go to the library and they look up the word black in the dictionary, right? And you see the void of color enveloped yeah. in darkness, sullen, hostile, outrageously wicked, right? But when you look up white, they say the opposite of black, innocent, pure, without evil intent, right? And in true Spike Lee fashion, we get a full shot of the dictionary itself. Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, right? And you just see this portrait of this white man, you know, Webster at the side of that. I, I, I love that, right? And it goes as far as, you know, um, being seen, you know, read the dictionary for the beginning, right? So you look at Advark and Abacus and so on and so forth, right? Um, but the greatness between the two of them continue, right? There's a moment where, like, some black inmates... Uh, the praise the success of Jackie Robinson, right? And Beans is like, cool, white man throws us a bone and we're supposed to forget 400 years of oppression, right? And here, I want I want to hear your thoughts on this, guys, right? So this is where we get the true greatness of this film, right? So, like, do the writing. Spike is not forcing the viewer to side with a particular person or viewpoint, right? Yes, Beans said that Muhammad says the true nature of the original man, the black man, is righteousness, which means that the true nature of the white man is wickedness, right? And, oh, Elijah Muhammad teaches us that all white men are devils, right? Yes, that is what Muhammad was was preaching, right? But the film is not telling you to believe that, right? But yet you can understand 
the why behind it, right? And that's why they give you, you know, this set up the world, right? And especially the pressures that African-Americans went, right? Specifically uh, African-Americans, right? But also, it's not telling you it's a good viewpoint or a bad viewpoint. It's a, it's a viewpoint, right? And you, you understand the why behind it, right? So, look, case in point, do the right thing, right? With the use of the Malcolm X and the MLK quotes, the end, right? They neither right nor wrong, right? But you could understand the why behind the quotes, right? You could you could tell that Spike was leaning more towards the Malcolm X quote, where it's like, you know what I mean? It's it's you know, it's not about turning the right cheek, you had to you had to sort of fight back, but not in a, a violent way, but you don't just take shit, you had to fight back in a way, right? right? Um and in the end of the day, I mean Malcolm X is not like a black exclusive film, it's a universal film, right? Um, uh, regardless of race or gender or religious belief, right? You could watch the film and get his message, right? But at the same time, it's not telling you that Islam is doughy and whatnot. I mean, if you if you saw this film and, and decided to convert to, um, to Islam, cool. Yeah, I don't, think, me, right? I don't think that was a case. Sure, I don't think that was you to do that, I mean, right? If, if that was the case, then Spike, you should be a Muslim, right? You know, um, exactly, which is it. That last thing I'll say, though, and this is why you have to praise Lee for taking such special care with this subject matter, and just adding, sorry, a lot of nuance to the film, right? So again, Characters will say and act in a certain way, but it's not telling the viewer this is the way because, you know, um, black man, white man, that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? That's what I try to say. But yeah, yeah, um, Ricardo, your, your thoughts on the, the nuance of, of the film? Yeah, yeah. He, he, you know, Spike Lee clearly takes a side on, on, on certain issues and matters. That is not like the, the question per se, but yeah, he does put things in a workable context. So at least you could respect the argument. It's not, it's not complete silliness or, um, for lack of a better term, straw man in one side or the other or anything like that. And he does a good job with that for the most part. In this case, look, the relationship between black people and Islam. Um, you know, in, in its own workable history, yeah, there's a lot of anti-blackness amongst the Muslim world. That's not a secret or anything like that. But in the context of the United States, yeah, the nation of Islam and its, its particular, let's say for lack of a better term, mutation, um, you know, you know, it, it was a workable conceit for a lot of black people, period. Like, it's not even a question or a debate or anything like that. It's like, yeah, sorry, Christianity was the tool of the oppressor. Islam framed itself as the opposite, and that's where the use came in. Like again, people's getting debates about the origins of things and, and all kind of weird, well, for lack of a better term, genetic fallacies of these kind of things. And like, no, it's what people use it for. That's what it is. It's not, not the history of it. Forget, forget the supposed origins or whatever it is. It's what it is being used for now. Um, and that, that's how this, that's how he frames, I think, Islam in this context. Um, and it works for, well, the character and the time. You know, him, him just using Islam as a, as a pivot point of be skeptical of of you know the wait it was a Catholic priest I can't remember what kind of priest it was oh, oh uh, yes um the prison chaplain um who was actually um played by Christopher Plummer though like I was like right right you were this too what yeah, one know? also point points for this is a little blinkety missing moment right where yeah be Malcolm X rocking glasses now so there's a moment where he's asking um the the the, the chaplain now so what color were the disciples you know be like what right. color were the original Hebrews right because you say well you know Jesus is white and blah 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 right um but points for having plumber's glasses be slightly crooked while Malcolm's own is is street like it's just yeah. those little bits of detail that that I yeah. absolutely love about it and and, and that's, the, that's the main thing about this because here's the one thing about like the dumb things religion like okay if people fight on your skin color of, of Jesus or whatever it is where the person who acting as if this where the, the, the insidiousness of a lot of well lack of a better term white supremacy operates is that they, they act as if they dispassionate and, and detach from the thing but once you actually start challenging the thing and say okay well let's change it then all of a sudden they'll, they'll make a big big stink about it and they care about reality but you know they keep claiming of facts over feelings but the, the only reason that they operate in the way they are is because of their feelings I mean it's that right um, just depending on aesthetics and catering to history, so supposed historical arguments, 
it doesn't work out in their favor anyway. So why even, you know, p- propose it as some kind of neutral point? Because they're still catering to the aesthetics and being dishonest about that. Right? That's how I always interpret a lot of these these big arguments about um say people like Malcolm X or whoever it is. Now. Right. You know, stop stop messing up the vibe, you know, rather than than, you know, some supposed real conceit of, of um, you know, the facts of the world now. Because if you were to really push the facts of the world, yeah, you know, you should, you know, you know, end capitalism or whatever it is, right? All of these things right. you could get these arguments about. And that's what I like about um, Spike. He, he pushes the argument, but not, not silly. It's not I think, ridiculous. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I think one of the things about Spike Lee that's so brilliant is that Spike Lee, Spike Lee, ref, refu- like Spike Lee would probably have a lot more ses- success as a filmmaker if he was more willing to take, like, to, like, be less, like, even, like, if he was more willing to, like, be more direct and, like, pick a particular side rather than, like, the thing he does where he'll, like, present multiple sides or he'll, like, deliberately pick characters that maybe he disagrees with and things like that. Like, Spike Lee is simultaneously very direct and very indirect at the same, at very indirect at the same time, right? Like, how he keeps, like, he, like, he, he apparently talks about how, like, you know, white people keep coming up to him and asking whether, hey, did Mookie do the right thing? And he just, like, doesn't like yeah, exactly. give them that answer one of the things yes, i really yes. like about this movie is that no it isn't it isn't a recruitment of the nation of islam part of which is that later in the film like because this is subjective and and lee does a great job of making this film subjective to the perspective of like of the perspective of michael like of, of malcolm x you know like he, he does a great job of like showing you where he was at this time I mean, the voiceover helps as well, but like he, he, it like puts you where he was at this time, all the stuff he was going through, and like he makes sense. But then, like, like everything makes sense. Like you understand why he converts, and then later in the film, when he develops his new, and obviously we'll get to that later, but like when he develops his new appreciation for Islam and his new understanding right. of it, that makes sense too. Like that whole perspective makes sense and you and he sees the world in this very different way and that is also like really interesting and really powerful and like the film does a great job of like um like i don't under i don't know how because i know the, i know the nation of islam isn't like scientology levels of like lawsuits and stuff but like i know the nation of islam did like a little because i know they did this when the book came out as well they like did a little bit of complaining. I was like, ah, we, we are not that bad. Like, I don't know if they still, like, as an institution, defend right. Elijah Muhammad, but... Yeah, like... no, well, well, two things. As The, the thing with it is, again, as, as, it effectively is, is a kind of syncretic kind of conceit of, of religions, in a sense, right? That's what it, mm-hmm. it originally meant itself to be, because it is just, in America in particular, is that, oh, well, we're going to make a black of this, on a very explicitly black ex- version yes. of this. So what it becomes is like, nothing as we understand it, if you understand Islam in some kind of international sense. But it, I mean, you could still, yes. you still have to technically call them Muslims. Uh, the, quick, the quick rule of time I call them is like, it's like, it's like comparing Mormonism to Christianity. It's kind of yes. like that. That's like the quick rule of thumb in my head. I mean, somebody could probably yes. correct me on that, right? Like the, na- the, nation, the nation of Islam is very different from like the original Islamic faith, and like that's the right. That's one of the most one of the most powerful parts of the movie for me is Malcolm X coming to learn that right through exactly. his through his own pilgrimage and coming to understand, but also like how this does lead to his downfall, how this puts him at odds with the nation of Islam, and how right. this does right. this is kind of his one of his big undoings is like. Realizing, it's, it's a strange, yeah. it's a very strange phenomenon, like in terms of the it Americanization is. of things. No? Um, the, American, then, the, Amer- the Americanization of other religions, like look what, 
America does in the 60s and 70s to Buddhism. Right, the hippies, right, right, right. The hippies right. I was about to get to that. I was thinking, I was thinking karate, karate dojos. Like, yes. Yes, it's that. It's this weird mutation and, and marketing that just caters to itself in its own in own strange way. And then, well, you know, we're getting into the, the, the mis, misbe, misbehavior of Elijah Muhammad, and I'm putting that very char- charitably. Um, and his whole deal, and then the, the militancy and the nature of it. And it, yeah, look, it is understandable why a lot of people fall into that because, yeah, you're, you're against the college. You're against the, the 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 government as it is because again this is this is the 60s and and things was you know a lot of anti-communist stuff you could get into and uh, it's, a, it's a mix, yes. big mix of well, well well the 50s at this point right but yeah we right. will lead up to the 60s of course yeah right right well I was, I was saying 50s to 60s I should say because oh, oh, okay. really getting into the anti-communism part of it now that that's right. all, okay what, you know how people are thinking about the, the foreign interests of the world and what could be framed as what and why and you could get into a whole you know conceit of which groups was what and how. And yeah, the Black Panthers was the more, one of the more toxic manifestations of it. And you know, the, the sad part is that this is, and you see this up until um, Louis Farrakhan, right? And I would argue to Chappelle to this extent, mm-hmm. to this to the state, of catering to more, um, you know, you're using a valid argument to, to you know, push up, for lack of a better, a pretty insidious argument for the most part, right? Um, Louis Farrakhan have so many good moments eh, in his life and career, like in terms of, what he should think about the world and how he sees things and when it comes to race. Absolutely, like, total shutdown. Like, holy shit, Louis Farrakhan nailed this. You know, well, if you use it in the modern context, wrecked, you know, or whatever right. it is. Uh, right. And, but, you know, ultimately, you know, what his worldview is, 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 incredulous, is, is in my opinion, incredibly toxic nonsense. Um, but, you know, because the, the, he, re, he leverages real pathology and, and something that should be leveraged into something that becomes, you know, toxic nonsense, that's the unfortunate nature of that. That's your, that's your whole bag. As long as America remains the way it is, you're going to get these, these type of people existing, right? Yes. That's a, a, a straight commentary on the system, right? And Spike Lee does a really good job of addressing that and showing that. Um, it's like, yeah, you totally understand why these guys existed, right? You, you have the good side of this for the most part. Um, the Black Panthers, you know, we, could talk, we could argue about the, the, oh, their yeah. legacy. But then you have the Nation of Islam and, and what, 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 what people use as a safe space. Right. Yes. Um. You know, it, for lack of a better term, is a is a safe space. That's what it was. Um. Uh, yeah. So I just made my two points on just the the, the white the nation of Islam is the way it is and how and yes. Why it's it's, it's well framed in this movie, like brilliantly. It framed. is. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because it well because it gets to the fact that like what drew Malcolm to this religion in the first place is right. the same thing that left led him to leave. Right. Right. Because exactly. he was he he was never just in it for it reminds me of like um. Like, it's interesting to see the kind of people, to see people that get drawn into, like, these whack religions or cults or whatever, because they often have, like, a deeply personal reason why they get involved in them. And then when it, and then the way they leave is it becomes clear that that is not the reality. That is not the reality. Like, they become, it's one of the reasons why the film is so spiritual to me in a lot of ways. Because, yes, um... He gets involved in, he gets involved in the Nation of Islam thinking that it is black empowerment and brotherhood. And then he comes to realize that the brotherhood part is missing. Like there's this black power part of it, but right. it's it's this very toxic version of that. Like I don't like the th- the one thing the film doesn't incorporate is that that the book does is that the book goes into the whole like the weird new creation story that the yeah. nation of Islam create about how like white people are literally the devil, and it's so. 
and, and the nation the nation of islam is like a nice version of somebody the more like it stuff just get way worse like if you know what the yes. nubians or nuapians are and mm. stuff like that right it have a, a like it, it it just get weird like it have a whole rabbit hole of black supremacist stuff or anyone yes. knows who anyone knows who yakub is right yeah. if you get into that like uh the the, the the animated series black dynamite addresses it um yes. Oh, stuff oh, like yes. That, right? yes you're right i remember that yeah mm. is that that kind of stuff like just the, the, the tip of the iceberg in this kind of nonsense but again you know people when people you know again when you when people under stress the kind of nonsense they'll believe now unfortunately and well i have a, have a whole um hypothesis and thesis on something involving uh bitcoin um which, <laughs> which i'll talk about with that because yeah it's, it's kind of the same thing it's not something that just ideology manifests itself um money you know just systems mm. you know trust in institutions lack of trust in institutions lack of trust in the world uh, at large and you know where where people just go with this kind of stuff now. like it's not it's not a it's not a uh, a natural um like it's not a big surprise that a lot of like cults came out of the 70s from the 60s because yes. yeah the 60s happened like well, also the, not, yeah I go ahead like, well, I feel like it's almost more surprising that more cults don't target marginalized groups because right, like exactly a big thing that gets and I, and I think your comparison to bitcoin is a good one because often what gets what often what gets offered or suggested and promised is empowerment and social capital yep. right like, if you look at the origins of Scientology, and Matthew, I am sorry to talk about Scientology and bring your podcast on the risk of being sued out of existence, <laughs> but... Uh, Take it um, be, be, be easy, be easy. <laughs> but, like, one of the things about Scientology in particular that's so wild is that you look at the origins and how it's, like, a group of personalities who are all coming together, and it's like, ah, yes, we will empower you through science and rationality, and then space right. gods get involved. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like that kind of thing, but yeah, like often that's what happens. Like every cult, every whack religion is a bill of goods. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, unfortunately. So let's talk about um Angela Bassett for a bit, man. Um, you know, yeah. he, oh, he, yes, Betty Saunders, <laughs> who will eventually become Betty Shabazz, right? Um, I just, I just love just you know when oh, she my comes, God. when she steps into the scene, though. Um, and pretty much her her character she set up here is that she teaches Muslim women about proper hygiene and diet, right? And she has a right. nice little pickup line. There's one of those blinking and missing moments where she says, uh, <laughs> do you know what Harriet Tubman did between taking souls to the promised land? She eat. I was like, ah, boy. All right. All right. I see you. I see you. I see you. Um, the convo scene between Malcolm and Betty and Elijah. I'll get to do that in a bit. By the way, played yeah. brilliantly by, by Al Freeman Jr. My God. Like he, yeah, for real. <laughs> right? It's so goddamn brilliant, right? And here we see how tight Malcolm latches on to Elijah's teachings, right? So he just more or less repeated word for word every, well, admittedly non politically correct view that Elijah have. Yeah, I'm pretty much seen about women, and you know, uh, I, you know, right. you know, I, I, I just don't like the way how they're dressing with these these short skirts and these makeup and da 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 da. And Malcolm is just repeating this word for word for word, right? Right. But well, but I, I love think... that that true. Um, well, you know, true Betty's responses because really. All she just wanted to do is just to know Malcolm. You know, she don't want to hear about Elijah. She just want to know who Malcolm is, right? right? But you get the sense that eventually, and obviously, Malcolm has to start thinking for himself, right? Instead of just repeating everything that he says, right? But right. there's a scene that follows now where he finally opens up and he has this calm, relaxing conversation with Betty, right? And that is that scene compared to what we saw before is genuinely beautiful, though. And also, last year, I'll mm-hmm. say, um, points for the little to no makeup that Angela has throughout this film, you know. Again, oh, yeah. you, know, showing, you know, you know, again, the beliefs and whatnot, right? I love that, right? But yeah, go on. 
Well, I was thinking about how one of the things about Malcolm and his relationship is that it doesn't take very long for Elijah Muhammad to, like, recognize that he's a very powerful orator and, like, a really charismatic speaker. And, like, that kind of, and, like, that becomes, like, a huge plot point, obviously, because, like, like, because it kind of, because it means that, like, like, anyone, like, I feel like leaders need to be charismatic in and of themselves, but anytime they figure out that one of their disciples is also decently charismatic that's like a huge amount of work they don't have to do so like that like that kind of becomes what malcolm can contribute to the organization i feel like that's like that's so important but one of the things i really do appreciate talking going back to the romance is yes um like i know like discourse on the way spike lee writes women has gone back and forth over the years but i definitely think one of his best female characters is um, Angela David's Angela Bass, sorry, Angela Bassett's movie in this. Bleh, 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 sorry, Angela Bassett's character in this movie because yeah. she and Malcolm have this genuine connection, like this genuine, beautiful, like they get on. You under, you get them as a couple. Like their 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 romance, like absolutely, and I really appreciate that touch because it like helps to contextualize that Malcolm is a person, not just like a historical figure, and yeah. that events happen to kind of. But yeah, no, the romance. That's a great little side point. Because one, one of the things I always found very insidious about, not so much about, well, I don't know if it's America in particular, but I noticed it with the United States because of how, well, for lack of a better term, how generally non religious the country is. Yes. But what I always found strangely um, distrustful and unusual about the states is just the just penchant for, for hagiography, right? There's this, you need to make the this person bigger than they really is, and this. Absolute, yes, like an allergy to like real history in a real sense and a real context, and yes. it's weird to watch that play out for a country that is supposedly explicitly, uh, you know, secular, right or non-religious, right? Yes, even even the guys who push the whole secular non-religion thing themselves are you know lionized and, and put put on a pedestal in the most ridiculous ways. Even the guys who lose the goddamn civil war have fucking statues to this day. Right? Yeah, no, it is not nonsense. Well, there's this, there's this need. I think it's, and I'm not gonna say. I know, like, I, I run in religious circles. There's this argument made that it's the absence of religion that causes people to go looking for something to replace it. I okay. don't know if I quite buy that logic, but right. at the same time, there is something that goes on where you do have people like hell. I feel like you even see this in a contemporary sense in Stan culture, right? Right, 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 have, right. Exactly. You, or, no, that, you, where, where's call it? Um, Social, social, parasociality. Para yeah. Well, because, right, right. And, like, one of the things I find so interesting is you see all these YouTubers who deal with parasocial relationships, and they're always like, I don't know what to do. Like, the level to which these people, like, it's not just, like, they casually like and respect me. It's, there's a level of obsession. There's yes. a level of, I can do no wrong. And I know the minute I do wrong, my, my whole dynamic is, like, ruined. Like, like my whole, right. like, my whole life. And it does go back. Like, someone, like, even before America had mass communication, really, there was traveling charismatic religious leaders and traveling, like, like these cults and early religions spread. But even, even when it wasn't, like, cults and religions, they were still, like, um, not, not, well, Del Toro kind of makes a good point in Nightmare Alley where he kind of talks about how a lot of, like, so-called rational spiritual stuff was just kind of like a rebranding of certain re like religious right. culty phenomena right like it just it, it does feel like 
trying to invent religion without religion. And you wonder, yeah. why is there this need for it in the first place? Yeah. And Elijah Muhammad definitely goes through this thing where, like, yeah, they do have to make him into this larger-than-life. Um, yeah. Like, they have to make him into this, like, larger-than-life, like, religious leader, right? Like, he reminds yeah. me of, like, um, if you've seen um, Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey on Netflix here, like, the one about the wha even, even wackier Mormons, um, he reminds me of the leader in that. Um, I can't remember his name, but he was the guy who got arrested also for sex crimes, who um, is still is like still leading the religion from prison, which just tells you how like obsessively he is like, yeah. um, like loved and and like adored by like his loyal followers. And it is it is a very it's not uniquely American because, you know, John of God is like South American. But these figures they, there's something about this country that attracts them. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, it I, I love how this show in particular builds tension within the nation of Islam, right? You yeah. Yes. See the deep insidiousness going on, right? So case in point, um, there's a moment where beings of all people, you know what I mean, going and telling Elijah, oh, you know, the ministers think Malcolm's getting too much press. They think he's... Yes. Sorry, they think he thinks he's the nation of Islam, that he has aspirations to lead the nation, right? And, you know, it, it, the tension just builds even more where, where Betty, of all people, right, addresses matter um, involving Elijah facing fertility suits from two women in Ooh. their 20s, right? Um, so yeah, wow. he, a 67-year-old man, right, is the father of their children, right? Uh, well, in actuality, he was the father of eight children, thanks to six teenage women, as they described. Um, I, I'm going <laughs> off of the... The yeah, Malcolm yeah. X 1972 documentary, which, by the way, is right. actually a bonus feature in the upcoming release of um of Malcolm X. But I actually saw it, you know, Damn. after the fact. But yeah, they actually brought up the fact that yeah, he fathered eight children, right? Um, wow. And even worse now, um, Beans and some of his his brothers pretty practically living off of Malcolm's, you know, sermons, right? You know, for the nation, right? Uh, while while Malcolm, Betty, and the family, I think at the moment, at the time, they they only had two daughters, right? Um, they practically in a financial rut. They're not like driving fancy cars and thing compared to to Bean and the others, right? So it's clear that Malcolm's work is being disregarded by the nation, right? Um. To the point that, yeah, at a, at a point in time, they might just pretty much get rid of him, right? It's a great moment where um, where Malcolm visits the two women, right? And they, they confess. They say that, yeah, Elijah did what he did, right? And then afterwards, he talks to Beans, right? And then, well, Bean pretty much saying, you know what? Um, but I love what he says. I wrote it down. He says, Elijah's a human being, and so are you. David slept wow. with Bathsheba, and, he, and he's remembered for slaying Goliath. Noah was accused of drunkenness, and yet God gave the, gave him the ark, right? And yep. then the big one, Solomon had 700 wives, but he was history's greatest, wisest king. I um, love that. Just, just, yeah. Ah, it just yeah. hits your boy's punch, right? Oof. Last thing, and then I'll shut up, right? So, <laughs> speaking of Elijah, though, because, yeah, me and Malcolm going up the, the ladder, so he talked to Elijah, like, yo, what's going on, right? But I love how Elijah justifies his actions. He says, after me, there will be no more. I must plant my seed in fertile soil. It is only the fulfillment of, 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 of prophecy. I love that. I love that. This is the hypocrisy of it all, then. How it just kind of blows Malcolm is just being exposed to it by the second. I love that. Um, yeah, in terms of those moments, guys. I just, like, I feel like there's so much personal devastation for Malcolm because, like, he wants to believe and he was drawn into this religion thinking it was all these great things. And then, like, as the scandal happens and as it all unravels, yeah, it's – I love how per how both both Spike Lee in the writing 
and Denzel Washington, the performance do bring out that this is personally devastating, right? Like this yeah. is really hard for him to deal with and process and like to believe, right? Like, like, yes, like, like believing all this and actually being like, this was all built on hypocrisy. Cause like, he sees through Elijah Muhammad's bullshit. Like Elijah Muhammad can say whatever he wants about prophecies and is planting his seed. But like Malcolm X, Malcolm very like like recognizes and like sees him as a hypocrite. And like that doesn't like you know that is like that doesn't change, right? Like he is like like he recognizes his hypocrisy and he can't and like the difficulty he has in processing that is so personally devastating and i really appreciate that about the movie like re- it really connects so well yeah so we get a great bit of character development afterwards right so uh malcolm publicly announces that he is his own muslim so to speak right so he's yes. free of the grip that elijah had on him right um there's a great moment actually where he even apologizes to the negro leaders he insulted earlier in the film because yeah, yes it's, it's that he called out um you know um mlk now for his right. you know turn the other cheek approach to you know dealing with um hostility towards you know, black people right um and then we get you know one of the film's you know greatest moments actually where he goes on the pilgrimage to mecca right i love the the, the use of 60 millimeter footage and it's not just a stylistic yes. choice but because well you know these these two guys who are following these two white guys um, I, I assume the feds, but Malcolm thinks that they, they're from the CIA, but I love that, you know, um, um, Spike keeps it ambiguous. We, we're not really sure. Right. But, you know, just this whole sequence is great though, because I mean, this is again, Spike scene, here's what I am literally going into Mecca dread all the shots. Cause yeah, it, it literally is our peaceful recreation of the actual footage of, of Malcolm X, you know, going into Egypt and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They, 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 they recreate all that stuff, but you know, um, Spike being a, a film lover, you know, he he put his David Lean spin in it, right? So you get some nice yes. epic white shots and whatnot, right? I love this scene where he actually meets white Muslims and, you know, there's a great, well, actually, yeah. it's actually based off of, of the biography of, well, not the biography, sorry, but the letter that he sent back to, to Betty, which Betty read to the nation, right? Whereas, like, yeah, I, I, I met Muslims who had the fairest of skin and the bluest of eyes. And it's like, yeah, it don't even matter about skin color. You know what I mean? I love that. I love that. Yeah, it, I mean, really it's a white good. woman who literally converted to Islam, right? I could see, you could literally see in this moment how that, how just that experience just, just changed his whole viewpoint on Islam. Like, I, I love that. You know what I mean? Um, well, it changes his view on Islam and, like, changes... Well, changes his outlook on like what the solution to racism is like right. it's it, i mean it, they don't talk about it in the film as much i don't think as much as but like malcolm x was actually one of the one of the one of the leaders who very much advocated for the nation of new africa which was this whole idea that yeah. there was no way you could reconcile the differences between white and black people peacefully and the only thing that could be done was for um, the american government to give like the black America, its own literal country within the United States that they would be able to live in and govern as their own. And this was like an actual thing that Malcolm X believed and advocated for. But like going on that pilgrimage and getting to get a sense of like brotherhood and the idea that like racial and the idea that like something bigger than race could be like the, the key to like healing and the key to like actually like bridging those divides and like like you know bringing bringing those like issues to an end is like really really powerful it's like it's like a defining moment it's like it becomes a defining moment in his life and it's like the whole like i am my own 
I am my own Muslim thing. And, like, it does become this fine... Because, like, then he, he starts to realize... I mean, I don't think he ever... He never dropped the, like, practical... The, that kind of, like, searing practical approach to, like, how to deal with racism that he had before. And I'm not... I don't think he dropped the violence. Real, like, he dropped some of his, like, advocating for violence. But he did stop the idea that there couldn't be white allies in the fight against injustice. And he did kind of soften his stance. He softened his stance on that anyway. And he did think that there were ways, like that the solution was reconciliation and overcoming those problems rather than like assuming that it was a done deal and that there was no way that could be done at all rather than like, you know, rather than, rather than like creating another nation within the United States right. and that kind of thing. Right. Um, so even with this reboot, though, um, Malcolm still has fears of retaliation from the nation, right? Um, there's one scene where you see um, where, where Spike Lee, you know, replicates the iconic shot of Malcolm by the window, rifle in hand, right? Yeah. Um, uh, there's one line afterwards that's just so dark and ironic, though, but it sums up Malcolm's conflict perfectly, right? I feel it's a Spike Lee line. I don't think it's a Malcolm X line, but, you know, what it is is where he says, we had the best organization the black man has ever seen. Niggas ruined it. I love that. That is so blunt <laughs> and it sums up the entire film right there. That is that's such a spikely line, but it totally works. I love that, right? And then well, you know, one night now Malcolm is woken up by a noisy house and it mirrors the scene what we saw earlier on where the clansmen invade his father's house, right? Um and yeah, I mean it's it's literally, you know, Molotov cocktails being thrown to um at this house. Well two actually were thrown at this house now. And um but it's not really. It's sh- still not sure who it is true it. Eh? Like when I watch it, I was. I swear it was a white man who threw it, but I could be wrong. Eh? I could be wrong, right? But you know, um, ultimately, um, Malcolm blames it on the nation. He has an attack on his family, right? But uh, this is actually true. Eh? There's a subsequent interview with Beans, and Beans come out and say, "Yo, this actually is a publicity stunt, you know? Like this is on the part of Malcolm actually. Like he, he legit say, "Oh, is Malcolm pulling a a a, a publicity stunt?" Right? I was like. Wow, wow, just just wow, you know what I mean? And then after that, now we see the five men who will assassinate Malcolm, right? right. Um, I believe most, if not all, of them were shown as members of the nation during the film, right? I believe they. I believe that it. I believe in real life they right. were members of the nation. I believe. Right, right, because I, because I, I, in my, in my mind, I, I keep thinking that maybe they hire some. Some thugs, if I will use the term, they, they, they hire some 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 outside hitmen, if you will, not to do the job, not so they won't pin everything entirely on them. I could be wrong, right? Right. So, well, but, it, it, that, that's a big conspiracy back and forth, right? About who was doing what and why. Um, a lot of people think, you know, the FBI was involved and the CIA was involved, and well, you know, well, yeah, go ahead. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then we get to the final speech section of the. That's all, mm-hmm. called, right? Um, this is just perfectly put together though you could just okay, you know it's gonna happen eh? you know it's gonna happen eh? but it builds it so slowly and meticulously dread you you, you you're just like right, right oh, shit oh shit oh shit is gonna happen right but really at the heart of it all you get a true sense of how malcolm felt before and during well i should say before that 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 speech right and leading up to his death right he knows he's gonna die right but yet he insists yes. on delivering the speech right um because it's the truth and you know he knows he has to deliver it right um 
And I love that, you know, this is the only time in the film where, you know, you actually see um, Spike use the whole dolly shot thing where, you know, the camera's yeah. right in front of, of Denzel. And you could tell that he's in his own world. And there's this this right. br- brilliant satiric moment now where this old elderly, this elderly woman um, sees him and is like, are you okay, son? It's like, he's like, yeah, I'm fine. It's like, don't worry, you're going to be okay, man. You're going to be fine. Jesus will save you. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. It just yeah. like that, like. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's just one of those those brilliant, you know. It's just so 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 ironic, but I love it at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, well, you know, before he even like delivers his speech at all, right? You know, the uh, one of the assassins creates this ruckus. I think he he um lets off this sort of bomb, if you will, um in in the smoke bomb. Sorry, right? And then two of the guys show up with pistols and lit- well, sorry, one guy roll up with a shotgun. Hit it. I, I think it hits uh one shot hits um Malcolm in the Hartner. And then two other guys roll up and they start busting shots off of um, some pistols, right? Um, and I would like just like the outcome of the riot scene in Do the Writing, especially like in that film where you heard um, where you heard Ruby D just yelling, "No, no!" You know what I mean? Just just right. um, Angela Bassett crying like that, but I want like, it was it was really really heartbreaking to see. But you know, um, if there's any takeaway, any any takeaway from this episode, it's that. Whether it's Black Panther 2 or Malcolm X, Angela Bassett is an absolute powerhouse of a human being. Yes, she is. Boy. Oh, she my is. God. She is. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, but fun fact, right? Um, this is a weird, it's an interesting qualities of, of, of the film, right? Because they kind of imply that, that Elijah was dying, right? Because I think there's two moments where you see him, like, coughing, you know what I mean? And what well, the last scene involving, it was just him on his bed, coughing, coughing violently, right? And you see a few of the, the initiatives, some guys supporting him, right? I think Beans is there, right? But actually, he, he was alive, though, um, after Malcolm got killed, because in the Malcolm X documentary I mentioned before, uh, he was interviewed, right? And he, he denied the initiatives involving all of this, right? But it's one moment I had to write this down. Well, not word for word, but basically what he says, he, he pretty much said that, oh, well, because Malcolm preached violence, he lost his life due to violence. I was yeah. like, wow, boy. Wow, boy, Bullshit. Elijah, boy. Jesus. Bullshit. <laughs> oh, boy, Elijah, boy. <laughs> yeah, I was just cool. sitting there like, real cool, you know? It's like, that's, that's bold, man. Like, God. <laughs> I, I know, right? Like, oh, you could say that, man. Jeez, right? But anyway, but but speaking of duty writing, now we get a truly powerful epilogue, right? And it's the it's from the late great Ossie Davis, right? And what he does, he delivers MLK's um, eulogy, right, which he did in tribute to Malcolm X, right? Mm. And here's the funny thing about it, right? In the Malcolm X doc himself, Ossie Davis actually read the same eulogy out as well, right? Uh, right. But oh, in wow. this case here. You know, you're seeing um, imagery of, um, of of Malcolm X as well, the real Malcolm X and all that kind of stuff, right? And is that coupled with Terrence Blanchard's music by I Will Lie, though, Man Tears, no? Mm-hmm. I get Man Tears watching that sequence, where I, I just couldn't help it, right? And even better in terms of this film now, K-Ticket is just all about Malcolm X and Malcolm X and America, right? Because, you know, it kind of cuts to, um, you know, a shot, like, in contemporary times with, like, this large crowd out in the street, you know, with, with um, placards like, Malcolm X, Malcolm X, Malcolm X. And then you show, like, out of the blue just cuts to so way to do. Like, I whoa, lost whoa, my goddamn mind. Whoa. I whoa. Lo- when, when Nelson Mandela's 
Nelson Mandela's cameo in Malcolm X blew my goddamn mind. Yeah, yeah like, when, when I saw that for the first time, I went nuts. I was like, mops. Like... Again, Spike Lee, dude. This is your sixth film, and you say, no. Spike I want, Lee's... I want Nelson Mandela in the end of Spike... my movie. <laughs> Spike Lee's cameo game has always been insane, right? Like, everyone... Like, we were talking earlier about, like, wait, Christopher Plummer's in this movie. I mean, Christopher Plummer worked with Spike Lee multiple times. Um... You get, like, all these, like, crazy cameos, like Harry Belafonte in Black Klansman. But Nelson Mandela, yeah. and I love how he's not playing Nelson Mandela. He's playing, like, just, like, a Soweto school teacher or whatever. And I'm like, right. oh, oh, my God. But, like, Nelson, that, so that it is a... Like, that couldn't be much time after he came out of prison, eh? No, it couldn't have. Yeah. Like, and that was still, like, that would have been, co- like, the fact that that would have been, con- that would have been around the time that he was, like, like, had that sit-down interview with Cast like, around the time, or maybe a little before, where he, like, met Castro, and they just carefully talk about when when Castro was going to go visit South Africa. Like, that was a thing that happened. And I'm just, like, just jaw on the floor when I saw that. Just like, what the? What? Whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) Man. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um... But but before we get to, to Nelson, you know, bit at the end, right? Um, you know, we, we get the denouement, right? Where you have this American school teacher and he's teaching, and, you know, she's teaching these kids about Malcolm X Day, right? Which is mainly 90s, right? Um, Spike does a little, tr- um, you know, tribute to Spartacus, you know, so he's like, I'm Malcolm yep. X, I'm Malcolm X, right? Yep. But again, you know, cutting from America to South Africa, you see two or three, you know, South African children saying, I am Malcolm X, right? And, you know, the first time I saw it, I was like, you know, it could have just stopped there with the with the eulogy, right? But then it goes on with the I'm Malcolm X, I'm Malcolm X, right? And, you know, over the years, I, I grew to really appreciate this moment, right? Yes. Because, yes, you, you, you've seen everything from the past, but no, now, now you're going to see how, why this matters now in 92, right? When this film came out. Right. right? Well, because one of Ma- Malcolm X wasn't just advocating for the liberation of, of liberation of black Americans. He was very much... Kwame Ture was the same way. He was right. very much in the forefront of like pan-African solidarity and unity. Like he was very involved and very like he was like not only do we need like you know black Americans liberated, but we need uh, we need black lead like we need like African nations to be free of white colonialism. It led to some like like I I I don't know if like. Um, Malcolm X supported like Mobutu Sese Seka, for example. I mean, obviously, like that kind of pan African solidarity thing kind of did lead, lead to some people that we now know as dictators kind of had like the good graces of American black activists. But no, it is for me, it, was, it is a very important touch because it does indicate, it does remind us that, yeah, Malcolm X wasn't just for the liberation of black Americans, Malcolm X was also was like a was like a black solidarity transatlantic figure and like remind remembering everyone that he is 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 important in different parts of africa and especially like like even and in south africa as well is a like a really important point as well and like i really that's one of the reasons like i really love that whole sequence Agreed. And now we get to the final moment now where, where Nelson actually does something pretty interesting now. He actually delivers a Malcolm X quote, right? One of his famous quotes, right? But interestingly, the last bit, right? What I'll get into, you know, he does not see, but I'll get to why in a bit, right? 
So this is where he says, you know, we declare our right on this earth to be a human being, to be respected as a human being, to be given the rights of a human being in this society, on this earth, in this day, which we intend to bring into existence. And then it stops, and then it cuts to the actual, you know, um, the actual footage of, of Malcolm X himself seen by any means necessary, right? Right. So I found out after the fact um, that, that Nelson actually was a little uncomfortable seen by any means necessary. So that's mm. why they cut back to that shot, um, that you know, that bit of footage. And that's where the movie ends, actually, right? And, um, you know, you're just hearing this powerful music and also points for actually incorporating Arrested Development, right, with their song Revolution. I also remember when that song came out in 92 and how big a deal that was, right? I mean, it wasn't as big as Tennessee, but, I mean, it was Arrested Development. And, again... Afrocentricity in rap music, right? So there we go, right? Um, also, you know, just showing just how on the pulse um, Spike Lee was in terms of music, right? So in closing, um, yes, Malcolm X is his magnum opus. It is his greatest film, bar none. And that's not to say that he he hasn't been a, a great film afterwards, you know, but nah, this this one in particular was, and again, the, the most amazing thing about this film for me now, just look at that, uh, re, re, you know, recapping it, um, is this is your sixth film, Dread, and you yes. you're not even like ten you even have ten years into your career and you say no, this is the time right now, you know what I mean? Um black America is going through this 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 reawakening, you know, it, it is a black culture. Let let's strike now while the iron is hot, you know what I mean? Because I don't know what I'm gonna do next, but this is a film that I have to make, right? To hell with me, you know, making films for the next 15, 20 years. I wanna make this film right now, Dread. And, you know, despite the ups and downs, you know what I mean? He was able to pull it off, right? Um, Denzel Washington, I didn't even mention, I didn't even bring it up in, in my um, notes, right? Um, he is just fantastic in this, though, from start to end, right? I just love that the, the film show you, shows you that transition from when he's yes. a hustler named Red and all the shady shit that he was involved in to where he becomes, you know, Malcolm X and, you know, how he becomes a martyr at the end of it all, right? Yeah, you, you buy into this transition and, you know, Denzel just, just owns every single scene that he's in, right? It's a shame to this day, you know, you can look back now and be like, why was this man... Why did he win Best Actor, right? That's one of the big, you know, cuts right. as far as Oscar um, history, right? Because he had to give it to Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman, right? I mean, I love Al Pacino, but I, only saw that shit I don't remember a single thing about Scent of a Woman outside the fact that he was blind, I think. I think he was blind, I think. That was a big deal. I don't know, but yeah, I don't remember something. a single thing about that movie. But I will always remember Denzel in this movie, right? Um, the cast is great, man. What is Delroy Lindo, Al Freeman Jr., Albert Hall, Teresa Randall, whoever it is, everybody came through. Even Spike Lee himself, everybody came through and did the A game, right? Um, Ernest Dickerson, I forgot to um to mention, he was the DP for this boy, he knocked it out the park. Um, literally at the end of the day before I get to read it, everybody knew what the assignment was. We have to do the best adaptation of you know the autobiography of Malcolm X, you know that that novel from from Alex Haley. And we yes. have to do right by this man. We have to put out the best film. We have to make the best film that we could ever make, right? And that is exactly what it, um, that, that what it did. 30 years from now, we are looking at this and it, it still holds up. It still holds up to this day. And I imagine 30 years from now, yeah, we're going to see the same thing, right? So rating-wise, yes, this gets my highest um, rate, rating. 5 out of 5, the equivalent of 10 out of 10. Um, see this movie before you die. Uh, unless you're genuinely genuinely uncomfortable with subject material that deals with race and politics 
um other than that though um i mean this this film will inspire you it will motivate you like i felt motivated after watching this movie i feel like yes i want to talk about this film i want to i feel like i want to be part of something that actually matters right and just in closing um much much um i mean big shout out to spike lee for again just saying look I want to make this. Me. I want to make this shit. I, I feel like I'm the best person to do this, but I have to prove it to myself, prove it to the cast, prove it to, to the crew, and especially to Warner Brothers, right, with this, right? Um, and, yeah, he, 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 he did that. He did that, right? So, yeah, this is a film that we will look look towards for years and years to come and, you know, still feel that energy, man. Just feel that raw spirit oh, yeah. that, you know, Malcolm X, you know, just gave to, to the world, right? So, yeah, that's all I could say. Uh, Ricardo, final thoughts and return on Malcolm X. Yeah, yeah. Again, a true, true masterpiece. Um, something that just holds, holds up. Again, yes, it is Spike Lee's best film. It's Ms. Magnum Moses, lack of better term. And he just like absolutely understand the conceits of nuance, like with and how to utilize nuance yes. while making a, a while making a clear case at the same time. You know, you're not, you're not. It's not, you know, milly mouthed nonsense. It's, it's still um, solid, solid, a solid case has been made. But at the same time. You know he understands how to square you know these are these ideas with uh these storytelling you know beats and, and makes it work for what it is though uh yeah um five out of five love it uh no complaints here all right and to close things off yeah. uh cc your file total return on malcolm x like i said um you something you said a couple times is that like making a film like this without even like barely 10 years into your career and like not even, and only as your sixth movie is so it's one of the things I've always respected about Spike Lee. Spike Lee never waited around for other people to hand him opportunities. Like Spike Lee kind of decided that he was going to break into Hollywood and he was going to get opportunities himself. He would like wherever he went to find them, he would like, he would get his own opportunities and he would like even if he had to break down doors or ask michael jordan to help him finish funding the film like spike lee was always going to do and again it's like you know by any means necessary like that was always so like spike lee was always like spike lee was always the perfect filmmaker to make this project and the fact that he decided to do it at that age kind of kind of a little bit of the Orson Welles thing of Orson Welles explaining yeah. why Citizen Kane was so great, where he was like, I was too young to know what you couldn't do. Right. And like how that was honestly, uh, br- like that, like that being brilliant and that being like, 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 and that being like really, really, really cool. It's a movie that personally, like anytime I'm trying to think about like autobiographies or like historical films, it's a movie that personally inspires me a lot. It's a movie I come back to. It's a movie I, think about again i literally one of the big driving films when i was putting together my master's thesis um at grad school for a film um it's it's one of the reasons i keep revisiting spike lee because like no matter what films he made that i am less fond of i mean looking at you ganjan has i will always remember him as the man who made uh the man who made malcolm x and he has that respect and like the amount of daring and the amount of just like focus and the way he like brings the story to life without waiting for anyone to give him permission or anyone to tell him or anyone to like tell him what he couldn't do whether it was things like you know having like making this movie at all or like using the footage of the rodney king trials or like having nelson mandela cameo in it i actually disagree with the one thing you said when you were like um 
see this before you die. I mean, unless you're uncomfortable with race stuff or politics. No, I think you're. that's the perfect person to watch this movie. It's a confrontational movie. I think this movie mm. needs to be, if you're like the kind of person who's like uncomfortable talking about race or uncomfortable talking about politics, watch this movie. Because you need to be, you need to be upset. You need to be confronted. You need to like actually deal with, um, like actually like deal with like what is going on here in the world and like, this side of things like and I think and I think this is one of the perfect movies to do that because like Ricardo said it handles the subject matter with nuance it's also great because it does open the door for other movies like biographies of like important black figures and even controversial black figures right uh, like Judas and the Black Messiah anyone oh yeah, yeah. Judas yeah. and the Black Messiah owes I mean it's much, it's much more conventionally made but not in a bad way but Judas and the Black Messiah would not exist without Malcolm X. I don't, I low-key, even though it's it's a movie that kind of has a little defanged at times, Selma would not exist without right. this movie. Um, true, true, true. I mm-hmm. feel like Michael Mann, even though Michael Mann is a white filmmaker, I feel like Ali with Will Smith owes a certain amount to this film as well. Like, yeah, yeah. like, mm-hmm. like Lee, Lee didn't just like not wait for people to give him permission. He went and did projects that he knew would like make things easier for the filmmakers who would come after him. And anyone, especially like any black person making films owes so much to Spike Lee. And the fact that we can make films about characters like about people like Malcolm X or Fred Hampton or any of these other figures is because a movie like Malcolm X broke the door down for us to get in and do that. Masterpiece, 10 out of 10. One of my all-time favorites, like, ever made. Nice, nice, nice. So with all that being said, uh, CC, where can people find you online? So people can find me on Instagram, uh, Spotify, uh, as a, in, Instagram, Spotify, Letterboxd, under cc underscore the underscore martian uh not on twitter anymore um i i uh, i have deactivated and i am on my way out of twitter uh i have deactivated my account and i am leaving joining the exodus away from you know this kind of been a musky smell about right. twitter lately <laughs> I've, I've i've kind of i i i don't blame you bro i don't blame you so I have I've headed out of there, but yeah, you'll you can find me on CC the Martian on Instagram, uh, Spotify, and uh, don't make music sadly, but just over 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 create playlists and on Letterboxd where you can hear my thoughts on these films and a lot of others. Honestly, yeah. All right, uh, Ricardo, where could people find you online? Ah, Basat, ArmyVDY, uh, Twitter, that is my city nice D. I am not leaving Twitter because I am just going to watch it sink and it's going to be funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, also type in Ricardo Medina on, on Facebook, you can find me there. Well, I'm still on Twitter because I follow people on Twitter and I just want to see what shenanigans they're up to. Um, but I'm mostly on Instagram, actually. Um, and I'm okay. on Facebook as well, too. Um, TikTok, China thing. Um, my Fiverr gigs are still up. You could find the links in the, you know, link tree link in the description to this episode here. And I'm also on YouTube where you could find, you know, excerpts from today's episode along with other episodes of BBB Radio, Retrospect Reviews, and BS Beats and Bailey. Uh, Summer, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on YouTube at Movie Junkie for Life. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Movie Junkie Continued. And I am on TikTok as well at uh, Dark Jade. That's D-A-R-Q-J-A-D-E. So Tracy, where can people find you online? You can find me on Instagram as we are Tracy, one word, we are Tracy. And Tracy J. Hutchings on Twitter and Facebook. And YouTube as well, same thing. 
so yeah this was a lengthy but you know fun episode um thank you all so much for coming through this was a blast you know it's just covering these these black team shows and you know Ooh. feel free to let me know what you thought about malcolm x and you know black Panther, what kind of forever and is that black enough for you and i would say all three films are definitely definitely will check it out and yeah that's pretty much about it so once again guys good morning good afternoon good evening good night whenever you're listening to this this was Matthew bailey and ricardo medina thanks again for coming through Mm-hmm. Yep. Somebody pulling it. Thanks again for coming through. Thank you for having me. Tracy Hutchins, thanks again for coming through. Anytime. CC Lilford, thanks again for coming through. Of course, anytime. And this has been another episode of BBB Radio. So, to the next one, take care. Stay safe in and out by any means necessary. Wakanda forever. Peace. By any means necessary. <laughs> <laughs>